Please note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. The perfect murder plot, foiled by a series of events akin to a farcical comedy. Ce n'est pas le nouveau vague français, mais c'est ajuste à votre souvi. Je suis Liam Delaney, avec moi S. Uh, Brandon Kahn. Je suis Brandon Kahn. Uh, so French people can't say my name at all. Can they? Uh, it's because it's, it's no, not really. They say they say um, Brandon Kahn. I think that sounds better. No way. It's like the equivalent of you going on up to a guy whose name is Jean Francois and saying John. Yes, absolutely. You know yeah, I mean? absolutely. Like you're not even. There's just no no effort put in. What's hi, Louis. Yeah. Hi, hi, Louis Mallet. How you doing? <laughs> just no effort at all. There, there. Even even people who spoke really good English, who were friends of mine in France, couldn't say my name ever. And I definitely could not say adjust your tracking. They would say adjust your tracking. <laughs> Well, I tried to have Adjuster Votre Souvi is, is my direct translation of the name. Oh, that was it. I don't know what trucking, uh, right. I don't know what tracking would even be. Adjuster Votre quelque chose, something. Let's hold on. Let's check word reference on this one. <laughs> Go for it. I will apologize to every single French speaker for that, but... I will not. I will not. The, all of our French fans All of there. our French fans. <laughs> Your massive French <laughs> yeah, fan Yeah, it's base. huge. Yeah. <laughs> Our first French okay. language film that we're covering. Oh, 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 no. Okay. Oh, wow. Uh, so word reference does have tracking in terms of your usage. Okay. Which I was I was planning on not being able to find it. <laughs> to, to shame me. <laughs> is, that, is either uh, the French version of alignment, alignment. Okay, okay. Or um, like the center, centrage. Centrage. Uh, so you could, I would say alignment. So ajustez votre alignment. Is what I would go for. I think I said that word. Wrong. <laughs> That's a tough word. Let's say centrage. That's easier. Ajustez votre centrage. It sounds so much classier. Let's go, go I, for think, that one. I think we should just change the name to that, frankly. Yeah, it really does. Anyway, how are you, Brandon? Uh, yes, my name is Brandon. I've done fine uh, this week so far. Hitting, hitting a little bit of the pandemic wall that I think a lot of people yes, are hitting. Yes, I absolutely have. A little bit yeah. of burnout, a little bit of. Little bit ex- a little bit exhausted from this at this point, uh, but hanging in there. Hanging in there just about. Hanging in there just about. Hockey started the other day. That was nice. Okay. Um, and it and it hadn't started because of the virus, but now right. it has, and so that was nice. So who's your team? Uh, the New Jersey Devils, of course. Oh, of course, yeah, of course, of course. I do know that. I don't know anything about ice hockey. It's the one of the American sport I know absolutely zero about. It's cool because it's like a regular sport, except they're on ice, which just makes it stupid as hell. <laughs> yeah, it's just like which improves every aspect of it. Sports are like hard enough as it is. <laughs> exactly right. Like in in uh, sports are hard. Everyone's moving fast. A lot of hand eye coordination. I know. Let's put everyone on ice and watch them fall all over themselves and die. That's great. <laughs> Apologies to the uh, the trackies out the no the trackheads out there. Uh, trackheads. Yeah, those are your big fans, right? Yeah, totally. The adjusties. The justies. The adjusters. <laughs> the adjusticators. The adjusticators. <laughs> or maybe you should just make it plays on the word your instead, like really go left field. Why ours? Yeah, just instead of like using the words that you would think for such a <laughs> yeah. such a joke, make it the, the the pronoun in the middle for no good reason. For no good reason. Yeah, but no yeah. one else is doing that, so That's what I mean. So it's like you get to I don't know. Uh, move into uncharted territories of stupidity. 
<laughs> but yeah, apologies to the trackies or the adjusters this week. Uh, it's not our regular miniseries. Oliver Jones isn't here. Instead, uh, our friend Brandon has joined us this week. That's me. Because Ollie Jones is doing his normal of covering himself in plasticine or whatever yep. he uses and um, and refusing to do anything else but stop motion animation and not yes. even eating or sleeping as far as I can tell. Yeah. He's gone into one of his trances again. Yeah, one of those plasticine trances that he goes yeah, through. Yeah, he's, he's like an animation shaman up on a hill, <laughs> yes. like in a cave who just disappears for like a year and like finds the meaning of life within <laughs> whatever the hell he's doing. He grows his beard out, his fingernails, yeah. like he wears yeah. a diaper. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> i'm gonna i'm just gonna confirm that that is true and <laughs> as can, your co-worker can, yeah as someone who has worked with him and is currently working with him and been in the room while he's been doing this i'm gonna i'm just gonna confirm that oliver jones wears a diaper while he works and shits into it and he can come on here and prove me wrong so it's on it's now the burden of proof is on him yeah, the burden of proof is on him it is yeah. if he doesn't say anything about this then it's true Yep. Uh, yep. If he doesn't defend himself, everybody yep. out there, you know that that's the that's the truth I'm speaking. It's absolute truth. Yep. Yeah, he's on um, often his claymation. So instead of doing our normal series, because it feels unfair to me to just keep doing the films that we said we'd watch together. No, yeah, I wouldn't want to take Oliver off of whatever you guys were going to watch. Yeah, which I have actually seen it because it was Rafifi's the next episode, and I watched it about two weeks ago, and then Ollie told oh, me he couldn't record. Well, this is actually so, a good double header, sort of, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, isn't it? yeah um, it makes sense. But like, uh, yeah, instead I asked Brandon if he had a moment to come on and he said yes. And so I threw, I threw the gauntlet over to him to say, what what would you actually want to see if we keep it 50s themed? And uh, you chose this. If I did. Yeah, without knowing. I couldn't remember if you guys were going to do or had done Rafifi already or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so it's another French crime film, which was big at this time period. Yes, yes. Yeah. Even to be honest most of the films we're doing in the 50s are somewhat noir it's it was a big it was a big movement really it was definitely so this is kind of fits into that mold i would say although like as i kind of mangled my french at the beginning i think this has a lot to do with french new wave even though it does not. not yeah as you said for yeah. those of you who don't understand french liam said it's not french new wave cor- quite correctly uh, but the top there, <laughs> uh, but I think as as we get into it, you're right that the uh, thinking of the thinking of this film is sort of like a bridge from noir to new wave does make some sense. Yeah, it does. There's a lot in this that I was like, are you really arguing a lot that it isn't new wave because it's really got a lot of the senses of it. And it, and I wouldn't, it, I wouldn't argue super hard about it either way for sure. Yeah, no, trying to read up like some of the things people have written online about this film over the years. It's a very big talking point, and I think something people really kind of get hard into. And the idea of like French new wave has to be this, and it's mainly to do with the creators. I would say the uh, I'm going to mangle the terms, but the the five directors that kind of started new wave right. uh, it seems to be mainly involved around them is it the cahiers du cinema is that the cahier cahier it just means Cahier. notebook like, yeah which was the it's just, it's just like movie magazine it's how movie it magazine yeah, yeah yeah i hate that magazine it sucks <laughs> it does it yeah i hate it. it's so lame uh, it's uh, well okay uh, my relationship with this question is uh, is different than i guess a lot of people in that um i uh, i went to film school so you hear all about it in film yeah. school, yeah. Uh, to the point where it's almost like kind of annoying. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I wasn't a big fan of the like. I didn't know the genre prior to that point, and I've never done like a massive deep dive. But I have seen quite a few of them because of that. 
Sure. Um, and I never, you know, loved it, but never hated it either. There's some films that I think are amazing and other ones that I, I don't really get. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that's, that's the short, the can the potted history, as you guys like to say, the canned history of, of that. Um, but one of my classes that I took was a film theory class. And uh, uh, so that's like the philosophy of filmmaking or like the, I don't know, like the thinking behind it. And that is where you get into, in my opinion, the guts of what French New Wave is or isn't, I would say. Okay, okay. Because uh, okay. those guys who, I think this is the primary difference and why saying this film isn't New Wave is probably accurate. Yeah. Um, and and it, because most of the, those group that came came from Cahiers du Cinema were like film theory people first. Right, and yeah, like Goddard second. was a critic, wasn't he? Right, so they, they all came at it from like a very intellectualized like they're really thinking about film form from, uh, from like a philosophical or, or academic point of view. Sure. And I think it's very clear watching this film that Louis Mal was not like that at all. Yeah, that's uh, fair. That's yeah, fair. Yeah, and he was a storyteller first and a filmmaker first and yeah. probably didn't give two shits about whatever Godard would, thought he was doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would, as, <laughs> I would assume based I would off assume. of... I've seen... Yeah, uh, so he was a little bit more of like a classical filmmaker. I don't know that he ever wrote too much film i think he did get interviewed that turned got turned into a book at some point i saw on his wikipedia but he never you know oh i, I didn't know. yeah okay he didn't make stuff that was like trying to break film form or trying to like attack the bourgeois whatever sure sure uh, that's more uh godard and uh varda and rene and other characters uh besides him so yeah uh that's i think that's where the argument lies but you're right to have note to have felt that connection watching it i did too like aesthetically yeah. it definitely proceeds slightly uh the french new wave and sort of like anticipates it a little bit yeah uh, yeah aesthetically so i definitely was feeling that feeling that for sure and it, uh, even for me like i know it's not attacking the bourgeois or anything like that but there's a certain amount of um socio kind of political messaging in this and plotting in this that as you say took it taking its first steps into kind of into kind of what the new wave was yeah in, in so right. and so forth that's, um, that's kind of how i thought about it as well you've probably seen a lot more new wave film than i have i've not seen a lot of goddard i've seen like breathless you know <laughs> yeah which this film reminded me yeah. of in some ways for totally, sure totally totally yeah and i think breathless comes out a year or two after this is that right i, I actually not 100 sure breathless i think gets released in around 59 60 yeah, um so it for, is right around this time i doubt that goddard would have seen this before filming breathless but no i don't think well the film that the french new wave classic that this most clearly uh is indebted to is jules and jim because without jean marot's film uh, per performance in this there's no way she would have been in jules and jim uh, sure. and her performance in jules and jim is one of the best in the history of cinema so so that's that's a very direct connection yeah. but um no i don't know breathless was made pretty quickly i mean he might have seen this Considering he was working as a critic, I would be surprised if he hadn't seen it. He definitely would have seen it. This, yeah. film, this film was super popular in yeah. France, for sure. I don't think he ever reviewed it or wrote about it, but it doesn't. I think no. he probably would have seen it. I'm not saying I would never say that Breathless is like a rip off of this. No, kind of thing. it's no, a very, no, no. it's a very different film. Yeah. But in terms of the, um, they both have, they both take like the film noir, doomed couple crime yes. spree thing. I think they I think they both just have similar influences actually and do kind of their own thing. Breathless was it. actually based on a crime event, wasn't it? An actual Was it? I don't even I don't even some remember. Some crime wave or something in like France in the 50s. I don't know if this 
was based after the same event. You know what I mean? Like no, could... no. I, I, this was based on a novel. I don't believe there was any truth in the story at all. Okay. Let me double but check that. It did remind me of Breathless anyway. Right. But, um, For sure. I like, when you speak of like, like the kind of new wave directors, I've not seen any, um, is it Eric Roma? Roma? Romer. Romer. Like his Me six moral tales. I've never seen them. Like so. I've not seen I've not seen one frame of Eric Romer. No, wait, that's not true. Uh I've seen like ten minutes that uh my wife was watching, uh, and I saw it and thought, I know I'm I'm glad I missed most of this. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll give it a chance one of these days. One of these days. Same as is, is Jack Rivette. Rivette Jack Rivette. I'm not familiar Rivette. with him. Rivette. I don't know that I've seen him. I love Maybe that you're I here have. to connect my pronunciation. Yeah, and, uh, I'm here. I'm here for it. And Cloud Shabrol. Whoa! I don't know where that was going. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? Is this another one I don't know? Actually, it might be. I I'm don't not, know. I'm, not, I'm definitely not an expert. Let's put it that way. But so, like, when I come in to say I'm going to talk about New Wave, I just want to make it point. I don't know a lot about that. Like, I'm, I'm yeah. learning. You know. The, so the guy who taught that film theory class was like an expert on. French New Wave yeah. and loved it and was an expert on uh, Godard in particular. Sure. Um, you don't say the last D, by the way. Of course, yeah. And absolutely loved him. Um, I don't agree with him on that count. I I have uh, didn't really like Godard very much at the start and have liked him less and less <laughs> as a person as I've gotten older. Although, although uh, some of his films are absolutely bangers, I'm gonna uh, I'll go to bat for that. But I don't find him as fascinating or revolutionary as as he thinks he is. Well, frankly, he broke my heart in faces places. So. Oh, he was such a dick, wasn't he? Yeah. It's just the biggest dick move ever. So and I, I, have, only I ever think of that when I, when I think of, him. I think that's completely fair. Um, that's completely, but that's, that didn't surprise me one bit basically after no. having seen loads of his films. Um, I have seen quite a few of his uh, because when you go to film school, he's one of those guys that everyone loves. Sure. Sure. Um, and again, you know, uh, I think Alphaville's amazing and, we got Alphaville coming up when we did the sixties, I think. Oh, that's like, that's, that's that one one's. Cover. I loved I loved that one at the time. I don't know if I would now. I liked uh, Weekend, which is his, one of his most extreme ones that I wouldn't recommend to anybody. <laughs> okay. I kind of think Breathless is a bit overrated, despite having some really amazing bits in it. It's it's kind of like Place is like the first modern film. I find ridiculous. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I don't really understand that at all. Breathless is one of those films that is really good that you can't help kind of praise it. So it does kind no, of no, just it, get, it is it just great. Does I love, get I love overblown. The, do you know? I think I think a little bit. I think those first like two minutes are incredible. Like yeah. the the like when the the jump cut to the gun and all this kind of stuff I remember really vividly. I'm a bigger fan of uh, I like Truffaut. I love I've come to love Agnes Varda a lot. Well, I was going to say that we'll be we'll be covering Truffaut this series because we're going to do the 400 blows and Oh, that film's great. So by the time you get to 400 blows that is I guess that's new way. Oh, it's 100%. Like, that's that's 100% yeah. new way. I love Truffaut. I love uh, Alain René who made uh, Hiroshima Mon Amour and um last year Marion Marienba, which I I love. I love Chris Marker uh, who made La Jete. I love that. Uh so there's I love I like all those ones. Um Quite a bit. So th- those are so all. So you're there. more left bank then, if if I remember <laughs> my film thing. Uh, yeah, I guess so. But anyway, the the teacher who taught the film theory like is probably uh, very annoyed. I don't like Godard more, and I don't like uh, hold French New Wave quite up as much as everyone else does. It's it's a great. It was it was very useful to like uh, popularize the idea that movies don't have to be just one thing that you yeah. can. Yeah, you know, you can you can do more with it. You can be experimental. You can 
I don't know, do whatever the hell you want to do. And that was massively influential for everyone around the world. So you can't like knock that uh, at all. No, no. Well, I was going to say, because so you've brought this film to us, the uh, the elevator of elevator to the gallows elevator to the gallows or, uh, elevator to the gallows or lift the scaffold in the uk which sounds a lot worse it to me. really does i i'd say i can mangle the french of um ascenseur pour le shuffle oh yeah is that right i don't i'm actually not even sure <laughs> so ascenseur for elevator that's fine gallows l'échafaud i think l'échafaud i think is what that's going to be ascenseur pour l'échafaud anyway so this uh back to the french new wave thing quickly this okay. uh, very slightly predates uh, by like a year, essentially, <laughs> the, the French New Wave, uh, and and is not um, uh, you know rooted in an academic understanding of film form, basically, uh, and has nothing to do with um, André Bazin, who was the one of the main writers at Caillou du Cinéma, who influenced all those people, uh, and is mainly is is has as much in common with Hitchcock as it does with uh, any French New Wave, I would say. Sure. But yeah. I think, I guess what we're kind of saying is these kind of movements don't come out of nowhere. Right. And clearly the kind of influences that happened to produce the French New Wave and those group of filmmakers were happening outside of that movement slightly as well. They were, they were, they were watching similar things, reading similar things, watching different films from elsewhere maybe, watching similar documentary footage or whatever the rat was coming up. They were clearly taking inspiration the same way. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely going on here and it would be silly to ignore that. But it's lovely to do it in terms of the 50s. Every episode we've done we talked about the 50s about being this kind of changing of the guard we keep seeing that in 50s films we cover yeah this is a, this is actually a really good example of of like a transition from old school to new school yeah. filmmaking and so it was so for sure it was a yeah so great pick is i guess what i'm saying <laughs> well it was your it, it, it was it was on your short list of yeah. films uh and it actually wouldn't have been my first choice if it wasn't for the fact that i've uh as i said to you uh shown a scene from this to film students just as an example of like use of a score yeah yeah so tell me about that yeah um which i had actually not heard of this film <laughs> prior to that <laughs> point uh so me talking on my big game about how i know french movies i don't really um sure uh or you know i have blind spots for sure and this was one of them i had seen a louis mal film before and it's not actually dinner with andre impossibly <laughs> which is on our 80s shortlist actually which i so, can't wait yeah. i can't wait to catch up with that i don't know why i haven't it's, it's no i don't anyway. know why i haven't seen it either yeah that's crazy i mean it's so up my alley it's ridiculous but yeah. moving that pushing that aside um so i know him as a filmmaker a little bit and i know that i've liked what i've seen in the past uh but for whatever reason didn't really know this film i love jean marot she's a genius and brilliant somehow i still didn't know this i love miles davis yeah. He's one of the greatest musicians of the 20th century. Yeah. Somehow I didn't know this had ever happened. Um, so like, if this film's ever popped up in conversation, really it pops up because of Miles Davis. Yeah, this, of course. And yeah. the score to this is much more iconic than the film itself. It's, I think that's that's true and fair uh, and yeah. fine. But that that's basically why it popped up. So when I um, when I, I teach classes on film production and when I want to talk about a specific point, I try and find examples um from film history and personally i try and find stuff i don't that i'd try and go past whatever my first thought is um okay as much yeah. for myself as for the students yeah because then it reminds me oh i've never seen elevators to the gallows uh yeah. so it's you know it's good for me as it is for anyone else it keeps you learning and, and, and it, stuff keeps, like that, it but... keeps me learning and then on top of that um something i've thought about a lot 
is how much like we decide what the canon is just by being yeah, lazy. Oh god! Oh god! Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah, it's yeah, yeah. We, like for example, um, so for for this particular uh, class was just like using music in movies and what that means and the ways that that happens. And so I wanted an example of like two different kinds of score uh, and two different kinds of like using songs basically. Uh, and so the first ones that pop in your head is like, okay, you could use uh, 2001 for mm-hmm. orchestral music. You can use like Quentin Tarantino for using songs. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, oh, no, stop, stop, stop. What am I doing? Yeah. Like just pick, yeah. just, just go one step deeper, Brandon, for the love of God. I do the same thing with, for example, talking about using the steady cam and long takes. The first thing everyone does is show The Shining and Goodfellas so right <laughs> sure. away, every single sure. time, every single film school. And they're great examples. You can't they go wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I'm sitting here and I love those films. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I'm like, don't show them that. They will have seen that already in some other film class. Um, let's let's find something else. Uh, yeah. So it forces you to expand their horizons a little bit, expand your own horizons a little bit. It's very useful to go like, all right, get out of just the white guy uh, film yeah. canon add a few more people in there that's what i like your term of like um it changing changing what the canon is or establishing the canon it's the same in any academic subject like yeah. uh, in archaeology a lot if i'm teaching about like hill forts i can easily just pull out the hill fort text you know right. that like everyone always uses but if i just work a little bit harder i can pull out a, a text written by like female archaeologists written by like right. a black archaeologist thing like right. just actually kind of expanding these kind of what we consider like the experts or the go-to texts and stuff yeah, is exactly right. important so important and it's and it's as you say equally important film because we do just fall back onto what everyone knows you know the, the yeah. same direction it's, it's also just boring i was talking to yeah, the, guy, yeah. the, the guy i work with the most uh is another white man of about my age so we both have the same kind of problems and same influences uh, and, same yeah. influences and the same um what's the word biases like unconscious biases or whatever yeah. towards towards what we were taught in the past um and i obviously don't want to take anything away from any any of that uh, uh established canon quote-unquote except for godard <laughs> The war on Godard. <laughs> it's my personal war on Jean-Luc Godard, who will not die out of spite compared to... <laughs> no, he won't. Every, he'll, he'll live to 300 years old in Switzerland just being a dick. Um, anyway, uh, when talking about score, I basically Googled other film scores, basically, because I was like, I don't want to show like the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, for example, mm-hmm. or it's just anything that pops... Or Star Wars, or I don't know, anything that pops in my head first. I'm like, I don't want to show that because they will have seen it a hundred times already. So yeah. I just Googled other famous film scores and found this, another white guy movie. Uh, but <laughs> the, 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 it was uh, the scene of, the first scene of Jean Merle walking around Paris at night to sure. Miles Davis score. Sure, uh, incredible bit of filmmaking and a lovely bit of score. So I just showed that as an example of uh, 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 using score in a film and how it changes the temperature in the room and the score kind of makes you feel more than anything else of anyway i was surprised that the one thing i knew about this film was the fact that it was kind of scored by miles davis but actually how little music there is in it yeah that surprised me too and i was surprised that um there were so many scenes that were just completely silent yeah and it was only really only really now and again that he would come in with a little bit of kind of like haunting trumpet on some of the scenes and then really go for it when it was uh, uh, John Moreau walking around. Yeah. Like that was the moment when he just went like, you know, put all that emotion into the film, put all that emotion into those sections, kind of almost like build up to it. Yeah, I was, I was um, super It was surprised. really effective. I, yeah, I agree. I was, I was because 
of the way too long of a story I just said about <laughs> searching for good film scores and finding this one and loving Miles <laughs> Davis. And, you know, uh, after watching that, I just listened to loads more because I always re- I always like forget how great Miles Davis is and how much I love it. Sure. And then I'll be reminded by something like that and then spend the next like four days just listening to like sketches of Spain over and over again. <laughs> Uh, but you can listen to a longer version of this. That's the sessions of yeah. of this, which is more of the basically more of the same. But so when I when I all I knew about the film was that one scene, basically, um, and that the the you know the Miles Davis and his crew had more or less improvised the score over like a day or two. Uh, and th- yeah, the story of it's quite interesting actually because it seems like he was basically it was bouncing around in his head for a while, and he would write little notes down and write stuff down, and he came to the studio with different things written, but like it was the first time actually he went with a group of musicians, and they just basically went in and almost just put the film on and improvised to it, which is a wonderful way of making a score. I think. Yeah, like, that's exactly what Vangelis did for Blade Runner as well. Yeah, that's true actually. Yeah, so it worked. It, obviously, that's all I knew. So I was just like you, I guess, expecting way more score than there was, uh, and it's interesting that if you read, I went. Uh, if you read criticism of this film, they usually will say, uh, kind of like you did at the top, and I guess not unfairly, that you know the score is Miles Davis at his best, more or less, or this period of Miles Davis and his quintet killing it and is incredible, and the film's like yeah. pretty good, but it's mainly good for the score, and that's fair. But yeah, then yeah. at the on the flip side of that, all the scenes without score were also really good. Yeah, I agree. I was completely into the film regardless of whether the score was going or not. Yeah, me too. So it's a little bit unfair to you know just throw the film mainly in the bin and just listen to the score. Seems a bit weird to me. This film was made when this when uh, Louis Mal was twenty four. Okay, was it? Yeah. Like, this is I, his I, first I, I film? learned that no. today as well, and found that very upsetting. <laughs> yes, it's one of those upsetting facts. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. I actually could not believe that. Uh, I had no idea how young he was. Uh, he w- he should still be alive today if it wasn't for a, a, a freak battle of lymphoma. He wasn't as old as I thought he was. He was married to Murphy Brown. Was he? Yes, in the 80s. Candace Berg. Yep. <laughs> no way. Yep. I didn't know that. Me neither. I'm learning all types of stuff about this guy today. I thought he was way older than he actually was. I didn't realize that this was his first narrative film, which is crazy. It's crazy. It's such a confident film. It's not. It's not. It, it's not Citizen Kane Badlands. No, but it's really great uh, for for a twenty four year old. It's insane. It's really engaging, and um, it's really. I love the idea of it. I love how fun it is. Yeah, it was very entertaining. It plays on suspense, and it's not incredibly suspenseful. Like, um, but it's there. I love. Yeah, I'm. I agree. I think the the plotting of like everything going wrong for this couple, uh, particularly in like the first 30 minutes when, when between the, the murder and him getting trapped in the elevator is not on the same level as, as say Alfred Hitchcock or the Coen brothers, but I was definitely, definitely thinking of both. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. For sure. And it wasn't a million miles off. No. Those, you know, objectively better filmmakers but uh discounting louis mal's uh, ability here seems silly to me i agree i really agree yeah so like, we've been talking about it already but like yeah we're covering elevator to the gallows
So, uh, yeah, so this film, uh, it's to summarise the plot really briefly before we just bash through it. Basically, these kind of people have an affair devise a kind of perfect murder plan that all kind of unravels when an elevator breaks. And the film opens with uh, the two leads, Julian and Florence, on the, on the phone to each other. And I think the opening lines, I can't stand it anymore, I love you, I think is were the first lines of the film, which I thought was quite striking as an opening line. Yeah, it just actually. opens, it just like plunges right in, like right on, quite smartly, right on Jean Marot's face, yeah. huge close up, uh, doing what she does best, which is be very emotional. Very emotional, yeah, feel it all. like Crying about how much she loves this guy. Uh, I liked, I loved how confusing this was, actually. It was like, as a viewer. Hmm. Uh, so I had no idea what they were talking, like who she was talking to, why, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, why, what, what was going on. I loved that it just seemed like I don't know, maybe they were breaking up, or well, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. And then the call ends, and then there's like a brief, maybe a brief bit of conversation between him and his receptionist, and then he walks back into the office, opens the drawer, and there's a gun, and then you go, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, is that what this was oh, about? this is different, yeah. Because their it's... conversation, is she basically just goes like, oh, I just need to meet you now. Can we meet at this cafe? Um, yeah. And he's like, yeah, minutes. yeah, okay. And yeah, 30 minutes time and that's it. And then, yeah, he talks to a secretary and just says, look, um, I don't want to be disturbed. If, are, you, are you staying late? And she's like, yeah, I always stay late. And she goes, well, I need some work to do. Can you not disturb me for like 30 minutes or something? Um and then, yeah, he just walks back in, gloves on, gun. And you're like, oh, this was different than I thought it was going to be. Right, I didn't exactly, know this yeah. was, we were going right here. Well, this, is, this, gets the, this is the thing I liked about this film kind of the most is that particularly for the first kind of like half, every maybe 10 minutes, it would sort of take a turn. I wasn't yeah. really know was coming yeah. or follow some other character I didn't think it was going to follow or whatever. So it did, mm. it did keep me on my toes more than the simple plot would imply. Uh, which yes. I thought was really nice uh, and and really well done and sort of speaks to what we we're talking about what I was trying to say before about Louis Mao that's down to his kind of timing of of information like giving information to the audience yeah the way that when to he, deploy it yeah when to deploy it like he doesn't clue you in that this is going to involve violence at all no. until he opens that drawer and there's a gun in it and you're like oh oh it just changes completely your um, relationship to the film you're like all right yeah. it's a love story Moreau's already great uh yeah and it's France, it's France in the late 50s I'm enjoying that uh, uh, and then like it just completely knocks yeah. you off guard and like it's the the how like romantic or how um like kind of the lighting on her face it's really soft it's it's, it's shot really close and there's that roar and she's really emotional on it that kind of softness then changing to him pulling a gun out was really right really exciting to me like that was like oh okay we're on to something now this is different like this has this has stuff going on my other notes from this early early few scenes were what the hell is that clock yes what the the hell hell was that clock i don't know what the hell is that phone and then (laughs) followed by what the hell is that pencil sharpener i love the pencil sharpener (laughs) we see some very weird uh this is not going to work in audio format my friends but some extraordinarily bizarre late 50s french technology uh, yeah, in this film. The pencil sharpener is about the size of like a lamp, and it, yeah. she's just she's absolutely like engrossed in sharpening pencils. It must like. it must have been a new technology, and it was must legitimately have been, yeah. the size of a toaster for two pieces of bread. Yeah, right. It like it was a full yeah, size two, two toaster. Slice toaster. Yeah, and yeah. she put her pencil in it, and she was like, "Wow!" And then the 
like the security guard comes over and he's like, what happens if I put my finger in it? And he's playing yeah. with it and they're goofing, goofing about. Very funny. They were blown away by this. Her phone was some Frankenstein horror bullshit. With like why it was like David Cronenberg made that. It's phone. a proper old like operator phone, you know, when you used to see the operator girls all yeah. like on the on the shift line, but it's just for the office. <laughs> so it's like yeah. a portable so it's version got of wires, that. Wires <laughs> wires everywhere. Yeah. And she's got to literally plug the person into the phone that it needs to go to with like an actual like XLR cable. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, it was crazy. Beautiful. Anyway, that was that was my main takeaway. No, saying the clock, especially. I can't even describe the clock. I, I, when it popped up, I was like, "Is that telling me the date? Is that like, is that the time?" It's like it was very. <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, how do you describe those things? It was like the ones where the 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 tiles. What do they flip over from top to bottom? Yeah, You're like the one in Groundhog Day, but yeah, like a physical plastic thing will flip down so there's some gears inside yeah but instead of saying the time in four digits or whatever like you would expect it had one number at the top and one number at the bottom and neither of them seemed to coincide with anything i understood it was a seven I and a five make a time think, out of it. Yeah. right it was a seven and a five yeah. and i'm like what the hell does it that was. mean what's a seven and a five got to do with anything and like i couldn't tell it had to be the end of the day right like the end of a working yeah. day so i was like he can't still be there at 7 p.m that's what I was well, thinking. They could, that's possible, but it was still light out and it wasn't summer because people were wearing coats and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it could have it could have been 17 as in 5 p.m. Yes, it could. Because they do use but, the 24-hour clock in France. Yeah. But it would have said 17. It wouldn't say 7 think, <laughs> but, but maybe it only has space for one digit at the top, so you just have to one do the math digit. in your head. <laughs> Like, I, I can't believe you also got flummoxed by this thing. I was so like, it what was is going on? It was my first, my first note is what the hell is this clock? Uh, it was, it was, I wasn't, because at that point the murder, like we said, it hadn't switched gears into like a murder thing. No. And the plot was still seemingly just a bit of a love story. Well, then it switches gears again and he legit climbs out of the window and chucks a grappling hook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's going to be a murder I'm plot. Like, but that's a legit grappling hook. What the hell? Like, not only is it a murder plot, but this guy's going to pull some James Bond nonsense. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And this is where it turned into, I started thinking about, well, when he opened the drawer and saw the gun, mm. I thought of the opening of Breathless. Yeah. Which sort of, if I remember correctly, does the same thing where all of a sudden there's a gun and you once he got the grappling hook out, I thought of Rafifi. Sure. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is a French like action yeah. movie. And and this movie ended up from that point on having quite a bit of properly good action yeah. scenes. Yeah. And 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 thriller moments that were really well staged. Yeah. And had like more kind of convincing I don't know, blocking and or effects or whatever than I was expecting, particularly in the elevator later on. The elevator one, um, yeah, it's particularly close. good, yeah. I thought of Rafifi at that point later on as well with when the cop comes round, because big parts of Rafifi are literally watching the cops kind of going round to each building and checking on them, um, which I Yeah, just, yeah, for sure. I remember noting that when I watched Rafifi because it it's very old school to me, someone physically going around pinning something on a on a door, and this cop literally, yes. literally just lets himself into this building to get some light or something I, don't, I can't really remember what he's doing um which i just thought was really bizarre it appears that from french movies in the 50s this one and other ones it appears that nothing was locked and everyone just did whatever they wanted at yeah. any point like yeah. privacy privacy didn't exist and people <laughs> just wandered into each other's houses and into each other's lives i assume i assume um that's that's what that's what you see in the films anyway so he uses his grappling hook uh, and his james bond skills this is when they start to seed 
they, this is again a lot of clever plotting in this film. Yes. They start to seed that this guy was in the military, yep. and that gets kind of expanded upon at key points to help you understand like who this character is. Who he is. And he's yep. quite re- you find out he's quite resourceful yep. uh, and quite serious, and this is because of his history in the military. Um, and all that is sort of like seeded to you when you need to know it rather than right up front. So it, it leaves you in suspense as to what his deal is and why, like, why does he have a grappling hook? What the hell is going on? Yeah. Like, how does he know to do this? Why is he, why is he partaking in this? Like this wouldn't, like this plot wouldn't have happened with any other character. He had to be this kind of background. It wouldn't just be any office worker would go do this. Like he no. had to have this kind of, well, if you, if he did, it would have been even more bungling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Was. Um, in the end but yeah so he seems really competent he climbs does he climb up or down up yeah he climbs up to like the penthouse kind of so he gets to the boss's really gorgeous office with that view view. over paris christ yeah yeah what a view uh so you can see sacre coeur in the back there and the whole thing and he's got these amazing double doors yes so he's got like the most private secure office in the world and he walks over to his boss and you're like okay so he's gonna kill this guy who you know is his boss now. They've established that with the conversation with the secretary earlier, yeah. basically. Uh, again, quite like cleverly and nonchalantly without you really knowing you're getting exposition, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and they have this weird standoff where you get more about the military. And this is the one bit of the plot, like it becomes clear that the guy he's killing is an arms dealer, mm-hmm. but you don't know to whom or why. And you, yeah. at this point, you don't really know why he's killing this no guy. it's completely unclear i to the point actually that i thought i'd missed it in the opening dialogue <laughs> i thought that like it might have been on the phone call and i'd missed but, I, but no it's much later when you actually find that out right or yeah, at least and, put it and together it appears that it appears that there's like an espionage element which yes the film keeps bringing back up but never really explains which i thought no. was kind of was was okay i was like that i thought that was kind of fun uh, because it's not really important to these characters that you know he might be selling secrets to somebody else or whatever. It was the impression that I got. Um, but it's never stated clearly because it's actually not particularly important. What I thought was really fascinating about this while watching a French film is it's echoing to recent politics in France. So he's a veteran of the Indochina War, which is you know, French versus the Viet Minh, which was like right. f- just after World War II, so f- 46 to like mid-50s. But also Algeria, which was actually still going on when they made this film. So Algeria doesn't end until 62. Um, And then he also served in the Legion. And to have, they make it very clear this is the background to this film. And this is what's going on in France when this film's happening. So it kind of colours every character in the film. It colours the Julian because he's a a veteran from all this. But it also colours like the younger couple we meet later who are very concerned about like the elements of France at the moment, what's going on in France and and care about like stuff like Algeria. And obviously then it colours like the boss who's clearly like exploiting these wars uh, for his own benefits. And even when he pulls the gun on him, the boss is like, Oh, what is it? Money? I'm not scared of you. You like you might have been a soldier, but you've got no guts for real things. You know, war isn't right. a real thing and stuff. So he right, um, which is really like I was immediately then shocked. There was like there was that political element to this. Like it was it started out looking like a romance, then started getting to like a Hitchcockian kind of crime thing, and then there was actually no social political kind of point about it. About France yeah, it definitely time. kept peppering in. Yeah. Uh, or, or it never ignored. No, it never ignored. The, yeah, yeah. The socio-political context of its characters' lives. 
um, end of modern day France. And I, I did appreciate that as it well. It just was really confident, uh, you know, it's grown up thing to do. And then to learn it's his first film is like, wow, that's... And especially yeah. like as a, I love watching older films for a lot of reasons, but one of them is as a historical document. Sure. Uh, and it is nice to try and understand the people of France in the late 50s, early 60s. Yeah. Like their point, their points of view about what World War II meant, which comes up in this film, what yeah. the what France's colonialism means uh, and meant uh, to them in real time. Yeah, because this, this was real time. Doesn't... France were losing their colonial power for the world. Like they've just right, gone through the exactly. occupation. The occupation gets brought to this, but it's actually they're talking about the Allied occupation of Germany. So it was a little bit confusing to use the word occupation for me because I thought they meant the Nazi occupation of France um, because yeah, right. it is a German people saying it. But they do. It was like, yeah. But the German couple later refer to the occupation. And they mean Germany under the Allies. Oh, yeah, uh, well, that which... couple didn't need to be German. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could have been anybody. Uh, um, but they, he obviously, they went out of their way for it to be German so that they could. Um, I just grapple with that in within the context of this kind of B movie plot, I guess. But it's, it's also it? the context as well. I, what I picked up anyway was they're German and and they're actually. It's all about. It's all about Europe at this time period. Like you get like the right. um, the Treaty of Rome, you get the Treaty of uh, Paris, both signed in like the fifties. These are the first steps to actually Europe becoming a thing, a bright new future. You know, becoming the EU, and the Germans are all in on it. Like the Germans through this room yeah, represent yeah. this kind of idealism of what Europe will be. You know, we're all friends, we're all traveling cross borders, uh, move beyond the kind of problems move of the world. Beyond war. his own, his own, because those Germans are older, obviously. Their war generation, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like a generational gap. We're moving way ahead in the plot right now, but uh, yeah, <laughs> there's sure, a but it's all, younger yeah. French couple hanging out with an older German couple, and they sort of have this bizarro hangout bit uh, where you get everything uh, we're talking about right now, uh, and the older German couple toasts Europe, uh, which I wrote yeah. down. They do. They, uh, they cheers my... to Europe, but the younger generation are more concerned with the crap that's going on now, the Indochina, Algeria stuff. Right. Like they're they're, yeah. they're they're seeing everything as like pessimistic, whereas the war generation right. are seeing an optimism in in Europe and France. Like and and yeah, that definitely plays out in this. Like. That that this is definitely a way in which the film ties into the more um, explicitly political French New Wave stuff. Cutting back, yeah. So yeah, he pulls a gun on his boss. What happens after that? We just did the murder. Yeah, he murders. He, he shoots him off off screen. You don't actually see. Yeah, and he's kind of the blood, yeah. most bloodless kind of assassination you find, ever. Like. You find out that it was uh, he was using the 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 war profiteer's own gun and tried to make it look like a suicide. This is the important point. Oh yeah, because he goes, yeah, that's my own gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So he makes it look like a suicide. He he sets up the whole office, and then he goes back the way he came with the grappling hook. Manages to get yeah. back in the office just in time because they're trying to call his office. So that's the first bit. Yeah. Of like so he rushes. Hitchcocky yeah. intention. Yeah. This to me again. This is exactly what Hitchcock did so well and why I brought it up, which was like this guy's the bad guy. He just committed a murder, but the filmmaker makes you tense for him. For him. Because yeah. you want him to go answer that phone, even like you're worried that he's not going to answer the phone and he's going to get caught right away, even though. Yeah. He's clearly done the bad thing. You're right. But the two things we've been introduced about him so far is one, that he clearly, you know, someone loves him and he's in love with someone else and they make each other happy. So he seems like kind of a good guy for that. And two, when he actually goes to kill the bad guy, that guy seems worse. Yes. Like yeah. that guy is an asshole That's to true. him. Like, so it, it softens him uh, it, immediately, even though he has just, you know, killed someone. Yeah. It's just the tension, the tension building of that. Like he's trying to get back to his office in time to answer the phone was brilliant stuff. Uh, he manages yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, I have here, it's really tense. It's like beautifully timed. Uh, all of that. 
And then he goes outside and he thinks it's all sorted and he's finished everything and it's all good. And he's like, I'm a genius. I'm going to get into my big car. They keep saying this expensive car. Huge that- Chevrolet is it? Is it? <laughs> Big car, anyway. Big fifties French car, uh, yeah. boat boat car thing. Yeah, the size of the size of like four refrigerators uh, uh, stacked on top of each other. Anyway, uh, and then he looks up and he left the grappling hook rope on the thing, which again is yeah, another the side of the building. Is yeah. is another like gear change that's really well timed and really fun. Yeah, and uh, like per- piques your interest again a little bit. Like when the gun comes out, and you're like, oh, okay, now this is like. Uh, a botched murder problem where there's going to be all this tension. Yes. Uh, uh, so then... Because it's really good because it's really simple. You've got 30 minutes, kill this person, meet me at the cafe. That's all we know. Right. And like then even the bit when they're coming down the ele- elevator and they keep calling him captain so it's more to do, you know, we learn more about his rank as well and who he is. That's really tight in that, in that elevator. They're really kind of close together. He's clearly sweating and a bit panicked right. and hoping they're not noticing anything different about him. But then immediately we cut as soon as they walk and we meet these t- these younger couple. Uh, she's closing up her flower shop. Yes. And he's, um, he's like just this kind of younger guy, uh, Louis. He's, he's, um, quite he's like a like a minor criminal i guess you get the element yeah he's gross he's a bit of a thug he's gross yeah didn't like louis very much (laughs) and um then uh the the girl uh veronique is it veronique uh yeah veronica yeah veronica yeah she's um very cute very young she really she knows the captain like she's like that's the captain's car he always parks it on those yellow lines he gets tickets every day but he's in the military so no one cares like yeah, uh, one of the big problems with this crime is that every single person within t- a two mile radius of this office seems to know exactly who these people are. Yeah, yeah, they're all just like yeah, every, everyone every in cafe, every bar, yeah. every every single store. Like <laughs> yeah. they're just wandering around, Par- like a Paris. It's not like a little town. <laughs> no. They're wandering around Paris, going like, "Have you seen Julian?" They're, like up to like a stranger. I'm like, "What the hell?" <laughs> like, why would this random person in one of the world's biggest cities know your boyfriend by first name. What are you doing? Yeah, you know, you know, Julian, the only Julian in Paris. <laughs> but yeah, it turns out that, that that is that everyone does know the one Julian she's talking about, and obviously that's going to lead to their ruin eventually. Yes. So um yeah. So that, yeah. that was a mistake being that that well known and liked. You need to be like more uh uh like fade into the background and have no friends if you a little more quieter yeah if you're gonna yeah. do anything like this yeah what a dummy yeah he sits in his car and he starts it and then he he does a great it's he, saying hitchcock it really does like cut zoom into this rope in a very hitchcockian yeah. way like, and you go yeah. oh no oh no the rope what have you done and, uh, he immediately leaps out of his car and jumps back into the office building um jumps into the elevator and starts going up again the security guard cuts the power to the entire building and locks up. Yep, it was the end of the day. End of the day, uh, so the, the building gets turned off. <laughs> which, yeah, I guess, well, that makes sense at the time because electricity wasn't as smart as it was. You got to worry yeah. about the circuits and you got to worry about your stuff's going to blow up when people aren't there or whatever. And catch you got to worry yeah. about rationing, like not you don't have as much electricity being generated. So I guess in the in the fifties, people would just like the security guard would just literally cut the power at the at the uh, fuse yep. box for the for the whole building without checking if anyone's in the elevator first, which is super it's smart. Super smart. <laughs> <laughs> so he leaves this poor Julian the murderer trying to get his rope stuck in the elevator while downstairs his car's running on a street in Paris. What are you doing? <laughs> Just 
unbelievably stupid. Uh, that one is. I'm going to say right now that that alone means Julian gets what he deserves as this film goes. Like just leaving your own car leaving running. It running. Yeah. Even even sits just, in the elevator when it's dark and just goes, oh, I left the car on. Like, <laughs> like that's never been a thought anyway. anyone's like, gone through their no, head. No, this is, this is city, city Living 101, my friends. You don't leave your car running on the street. What do you and think? jumping ahead later on, he thinks it's the cops that have taken it. And I'm like, you left the car running, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, Louis the thug decides to steal the car to the... Um, uh, his his girlfriend who's who has a normal job and seems at first like the more responsible one but she keeps going along with yeah she's thing, not this no yeah. matter what so she's clearly another bonnie to his clyde or whatever it is no, she's she's clearly a criminal in the making as she well, objects very much when they first get in the car and very soon she's very happy about it it's like quite yeah like... She, she she spends two seconds going no don't okay <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. so they steal the car and go joyriding on what appears to be a fairly new highway. And I'm going to guess that the highways were quite new around Paris because they come up in a couple of films. Yeah, from this era that's as probably like, true. Like a new, a new kind of thing. Uh, modern, crazy thing. Famously, the I kept thinking about um, the Jacques Tati film Playtime. Okay. Which I, mean, en- I know Playtime. Ends, I haven't seen it, but I know it. It's really great. You'll, you'll love it. Uh, which ends on this incredible, beautiful shot that sort of uses the those lights that you see in the middle of the of the I, 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 anyway <laughs> in this time period in the middle of the highway they would have a big pole and the lights would sort of like there'd be one on the left and one on the right and the metal would like curve yes. down to yes. the streetlight and yeah. create this sort of like Y shape yes um it's sort of like curved Y shape and so he does this in playtime there's this amazing cut to that um. I don't know. It works really well. So clearly that those lights really impressed people at the time, or it was just something that they thought of as very iconic. Cause um, this is, this is not the first time I've seen the, those auto routes, auto routes highways in the fifties come up as like a, uh, an important plot point or yeah. something that people just are very interested in for some reason. It was part of like, you know, new Europe. It, well, it was these, you know, autobahns right. as they're in Germany, these big like roads coming in that connected people allowed you to travel quite quickly between places and stuff. They were seen as very modern and big and impressive. Like I started playing the game of trying to figure out which road they were on. Right. Um, but obviously, obviously I lived in Paris 50 years after the, after that. So I couldn't, <laughs> uh, I couldn't quite place which, which of the auto routes they were going, going down. So I felt pretty stupid about that. No, it's funny. I don't know if you've seen. This is completely tangent, but I don't know if you've seen Tenant. I I watched it. I watched it a few weeks ago. Yeah. A big part of Tenant takes place in Tallinn, but it's not like the sexy part of Tallinn. It's like what they call like new new town, um, not the kind of like medieval part of it. And so I heard they were shooting in Tallinn. I was quite. I know Tallinn really well, so I was really looking forward to seeing. Okay. You know, seeing Tallinn on film because it's a gorgeous place. And then when I realised they were just shooting roads around the airport, I was like. That's interesting that you could literally shoot like almost any kind of like like motorways or any kind of biggest like kind of dual carriageways anywhere in the world and you choose Tallinn. Which which okay, so what town is Tallinn and which scene in this? So film it's is Estonia. This? It's the capital of Estonia. Oh, okay. And um right. the it's the bit with the car chase that eventually then loops back on itself and he's and he goes backwards in the car. It's that 
Yeah, you're right. I guess it must have been like cheaper or easier to yeah. film there for yeah. some reason. It's just funny because I, I assumed it was like the opera house at the beginning or something. Um, right. Because they have all that kind of, even some of the opera houses are quite Soviet, so they're all brutalesque outside, but then inside they're all like fantastic right. opera houses, which is like interesting art. But actually, you know, it's the big Soviet road that you wanted which i just thought was a choice but i'm still really excited going like i know exactly where that is i know exactly where that road is right so even like just our road can still actually be kind of exciting sometimes when you recognize it for me anyway it can be like i i I was at first i was like oh i I drove around my job in france was like driving all around paris all the time so i did know the roads pretty well it was pretty intense yeah, I also had to like retrain and get a new driver's license because my driver's license was. American. Oh, does it not? Okay, uh, yeah. so I, it it it's too complicated yeah. to get into. But uh, essentially, I did end up having to go. Uh, long story short, to French driving school and take the Jesus. test, um, which was absolutely ter- in Paris. <laughs> and so it was absolutely terrifying, uh, and I failed my first practical because uh, the laws of the road there are different <laughs> than the United States, and I got confused and I was blame. nervous and I could just I'd like the uh, awful. It was awful. And so the person who like was the adjudicator of the test or whatever uh, was so nervous, like because they thought I was going to kill them. <laughs> and like by the end of the thing, I didn't realize how bad I'd done. Like I didn't. I, it's hard to explain, but I thought it wasn't so bad. Yeah. But like g- replaying the scene in my mind, the like after I got out of the car, I was like, "So how'd I do?" And the guy was like looking straight ahead. <laughs> face like dead white <laughs> no, like gripping the moving. dashboard and he, in front of him and he was like and he was like i can't we can't because in france they're very serious about rules like this i can't tell you this now it'll come in the it'll come in the post oh like, i'm not allowed to I'm not allowed to talk about this now goodbye and i was and i was like oh okay. and you got a great feeling yeah, from that thought, didn't you you felt really good like you'd passed no, like, like no i thought i thought well looking back on it now i think he was worried that i was going to be really emotional about it and like go oh. off on him but I was really just curious because I had no idea how bad yes. I'd done. <laughs> but like I almost killed us like three times. It was it was it was really bad. Uh, and then I took it again and was fine. I think but, that's just French um, driving, almost killing. You. Anyway, uh, so I spent loads of time uh, driving on those various auto routes uh, in and out of Paris. But they look very different now, uh, so I couldn't quite tell. Uh, that motel looked lovely, but I don't recall ever seeing that either. That they yeah, the little weird little motel they, they go get to. Yeah. They go joyriding. Our teenagers. They go joyriding and then they they bump into a, a merc that's kind of like challenging them to a bit of a kind of like race, I guess. Yeah, a bit of a car race on the on, on, on the, the auto route. Yeah, stuff. and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful Mercedes. It really is. Yeah, it's wild. The one it? thing that really shocked me about that bit is they just kind of pull into the. We're skipping some plot, but I want to get back to. But they pull into that their little motel. And the Merc drives first, and then Louis comes afterwards and just drives into the back of him. <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. <laughs> and the German guy is just like so chill. Yeah, he's so just gives give a shit. He's like, oh, that's the first time that I've had a crash. Whoops. Let's get some champagne. <laughs> yep, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, that's not how that would go. Now that would never happen like no, that. I was like, this guy was, is not a real person. No, everybody was very chill about getting in car accidents in the fifties. Yeah, it just didn't matter because they were driving bricks of steel. It, yeah. Like. <laughs> Uh, whereas now everybody would get into fisticuffs and it would be uh, it would be <laughs> mental. Uh, what did we miss plot wise? Oh, um, uh, was it Jean Marco wandering around looking for him? Yeah, because that's yeah, yes. that's basically what happens. She gets more and more kind of despondent. At the oh cafe no, she, with, no, this like, is an important plot point that we sees, missed. We missed. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. She, yeah, she, she sees the car go right. Past. She sees the the famous big car that she knows about, which we find out yeah. why in a second. Uh, and she sees the young florist, but can't see who's driving it. So she assumes. Yes that her man 
has uh, uh, just gone off with like a 16 year old, which would be horrifying because um, <laughs> he's a, he's a grown up uh, and this 16 year old looks like she's 12. Uh, yeah. So that was very weird. Anyway, so she thinks that she's been dumped for a younger woman. And uh, uh, that's not what happened because she's Jean Marot. Who would do that to her? Nobody. Exactly. It's insane. No so anyway, she ends up wandering around Paris feeling. But as, to your point, she knows exactly who Veronica is or Veronica is. Yes. Like she's the florist. She's across like, oh, it's the, the florist. Yeah. 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 They're, they're all good buddies. So it all makes sense to her. This one small village in Paris where where everyone knows your name apparently and everyone knows each other yeah it's, it's the cheers of paris this particular city block uh somehow anyway uh so yeah she assumes that he's gone which comes into play for legal reasons later yeah but anyway and she, she also around. assumes that she assumes that julian didn't kill them the person yes right which based is on no information at all based on no information <laughs> she says like he's a coward didn't kill him and this is when you start getting the kind of idea that she is married to this guy i don't think it comes up explicitly but you start no what happens is this it is at this point where the pieces start coming into into focus for the audience because the person at the bar calls her mrs whatever the guy who got killed caravan whatever his name is cavallo i can't remember yeah something with a c C. i can't remember yeah anyway so then you go okay she's mrs whatever and uh this is a very film noir kind of plot element Mm. where instead of just like divorcing this guy and running off with the other guy, you have to kill him for some reason. Yeah. Uh, which again, <laughs> yeah. that part's not really explained, but that's their solution to the love triangle issue, uh, which again is never really said explicitly, but at this point it becomes clear to the audience based off of these little, little yeah, bits of information. I, yeah. It's, it's never just outright stated until the end really, but like it, you get the idea impression from it. And I just thought yeah. basically this guy is a piece of shit. You know, the boss say so he's an arms dealer and if he was to die and they would inherit that money so they could yeah, have the money as well so it's like, a double it's... indemnity kind of scenario yeah yeah totally yeah yeah so anyway that's that's when we get that but again it's uh like the earlier murder plot bit it's there's no exposition really it happens quite mm-hmm. naturally and little yeah. tidbits here and there uh it's really delicately balanced all of the narrative elements yeah. which which again i think if if you're not like um the filmmaking isn't like masterpiece theater 100% where you're getting like knocked out of your socks every 30 seconds by some incredible shot or anything. But sure. that kind of like um, mastery over exposition and story yeah. and narrative is not easy done whatsoever. No, no. he makes it look uh, very easy though. Yeah, he really does. It's quite casual. Mm. Um, and that, that the later film, the other film I've seen of him was, was from the 80s and had a similar sort of like, you don't really notice kind of how well the story is being told because it's kind of a little bit laid back i guess as yeah a, as a style effortless. Yeah, yeah yeah a little bit effortless and i think that kind of filmmaking gets undervalued a lot yeah i agree absolutely agree it's the kind of yeah. filmmaking people don't talk about enough because it just right. seems like they're not doing anything or right. seem and it's not true you know it's until like, until uh there is the standout scene or a standout scene which is the one i show the kids which comes up about now yeah it's about now is, so it cuts between basically him in an elevator doing all this kind of like with the lighter and trying to unscrew it and do and you know Very far away from any osha like kind of stuff like yeah but um and she then sets out for a night on the town full of like i don't know melancholy and and ennui like and stuff yes. like and yes um and following her is just this beautiful soundtrack um, oh, it's just gorgeous this, this, this scene is like. proper gorgeous so this is the yeah. one that I, I found and, and showed the students as as scoring and it is just jean marot wandering around paris at yeah. night 
There's no other artificial lighting. Uh, no. It's just beautifully shot. Um, I'm guessing uh, it was shot basically like um, almost just no setup, just going out onto the street. No hard setup, to say. I mean, like... I mean, well, it is the city of light, so you don't need much more. Yeah. Um, but she's <laughs> she's putting in, I mean, she's one of the best movie stars of the day, of that day period. And you see why mm. in this scene, because her character has nothing to do. There's no dialogue. No. There's nothing happening. But she's just so expressive and such a movie star. It's ridiculous. And then on top of that, you get the full, this is the one scene with basically the full on, not the one scene, but the yeah. major Miles Davis yeah. uh, scene. So you get super movie star Moreau, super uh, jazz star Miles Davis, bam, with some excellent cinematography in there. And it's just mesmerizing. It is scene. mesmerizing. It's, it is. It's yeah. really gorgeous. Yeah. Could watch that all day. And I loved sure. like, I even loved like, cause I think it really kicks in when she walks into like a little cocktail bar. And there's just a barman mixing martinis. Right. And I was like, I want to be in that bar. I like, right. I, I, I miss being in bars. I just want to sit in that bar. Because yes. it, it's no music. And then she walks in and it plays, obviously, the music the bar's meant to be playing, which is this Miles Davis jazz. But then it follows her out of the bar after she asks if he knows Julian. And they're like, oh, he's not been him. Um, it follows them, her into the street at that point. And I thought that really worked so beautifully. Yeah, uh, just a way of really introducing gorgeous, the sound. This is this is the kind of scene. It's interesting. So I, I sort of made the mistake. It occurred to me that this is a mistake to show this to film students because it implies that you can just make a movie, you know, a, a really compelling bit of cinema with someone just wandering around looking sad, which is what a lot of <laughs> right. film students like try to do. do. Yeah. yeah, and you really can't because you don't have Jean Marco and Miles Davis in your film. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And a f and so like when people say this movie's only good because of those two people, again, I don't believe that's true. But for this scene, it is true. Basically. No, I don't. Uh, yeah. Like it, yeah. With, sure. Sure. With this kind of a scene, uh, because it's so simple and so kind of poetic and abstract, you couldn't do it. Like it, it, there's no point in watching four minutes or whatever of that or three minutes, whatever, however long it is, if you don't have an actor of that caliber uh, and or like a cinematographer or a musician or like some sense, some like next level god tier bit of artistry yeah. yeah and she uh, she's acting you know she's performing yeah. she's not just wandering the street she's acting no. she's she's, no. she's embodying all the emotion that she's going through and you can see it's it it's crazy her. how much you can like how much having an actual movie star like how much latitude it gives filmmakers to just do to, yeah. scenes without story or plot or anything yeah. because they're just these like incredibly they're the magnetic yeah incredibly magnetic um people she's one of them uh and this is one of the things i you know you have to like point out to film students if you don't have that kind of an actor it's just going to come off as stupid as hell and like you can't you can't do it like just, just don't yes. do that just do anything else <laughs> it's it looks really easy because they're really good um it's if they're not it's going to look really silly like yeah, it's, it, it's i don't want to watch do. like, like yeah. me wandering around with no. music by my neighbor or whatever like who cares about that <laughs> i don't want to see that uh, apparently uh john the other film teacher he got so annoyed at film students like padding the time of their films with people walking around that he showed them like 30 minutes of a bellatar movie do you know who bellatar is yeah the hungarian yeah, filmmaker that, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 beating so a dead horse like, yeah exactly right his films are like a million hours long and like half of them are just people walking around but it's because <laughs> he's trying to like pummel you with the weight of existence and like yes, liter yeah. literally bore you to death on yeah. purpose that's the, so it's, yeah it's with artistic intent though is the point yeah and and like with seriousness and it's like if you're not going to do that just stop 
I don't need to see people walking from point A to point B unless there's actual artistic intent behind it, like in this scene here. Yeah. Yeah. And um, anyway. to, to push the plot a little bit, she one of in, in her wondering, she ends up at the office building. She shakes the gates, and he can hear her shaking the gates below. Yeah, that's a great um, bit too, isn't it? And um, and also, w- what happens at that point is a kid comes up to her. They have some dialogue that's you know they, she kind of just tells her to get lost. But the kid walks off with the grappling hook with the rope, which, yeah, which has fallen <laughs> down. Fell. Yeah, yeah, so it makes everything pointless. It's that's what like that's what like it became like a farce to me yeah like it makes everything so pointless well, that's the, the whole kind of setup like is, subtle it's... this is what I, we keep coming back to that's like kind of like subtle detail subtly told yeah. uh without a ton of emphasis on it that kind of yeah. elevates the film like not just again obviously uh, miles davis elevates the film but that kind of direction there's no there's no music in that bit no that kind no, of no, direction from out, yeah. Mal also elevates the film uh and sort of points to another thing i wanted to get to that little girl's another good example of like characters that appear for like 20 seconds, but feel quite realized. Yeah. Which happens yeah, yeah, over yeah. and over and over in this film. There's like it a does. lot of little asides and smaller characters who feel really organic and three dimensional. All the uh, cops. You, I think there's three of them. They all feel really different. Like one of yeah. them feels like he thinks he's fucking like Mag- Magret or like, um, like Perot, you know, like he, right. he, like he feels like that kind of character whereas others feel like a little different. They feel different in their characters. Were we talking on, you and I were chatting about Jonathan Demi a few weeks ago, weren't we? Probably. Um, <laughs> I don't remember in relation to what. But you, you were I related about how... him to Varda, I remember. Right. Yeah. I was thinking about him too in this and that like every little side character and every little... Matters. Every, yeah, every little person feels like a real character that you could follow, which is I think exactly what you said. Which is about. funny actually, because um, if if I'm remembering this right, the uh, my dinner with Andre and um, Wagner on Forty Second Street is that the sequel yes. to that? Like, um, but the third one in that series was uh, a master builder. It's like just because it's the same, it's Wallace Shawn and the other guy whose name's gone out of my head doing these kind of like theatre productions on film, and. Louis Mao wasn't alive anymore to, to shoot the third one, um, right. but like Jonathan Demi shot it, actually. Oh, okay. So there, there was go. that there's that connection there as well. There is a similarity though that I wasn't there expecting is, yeah. at all, and I don't think it would have occurred to me had he not come up in the in the he chat before. It's a really good though. link, yeah. But there was that sort of like magical little touch of empathy from the director that you can't really put your finger on. Yeah, and it is again, it's not like say. Um, um, the, the visual flourishes of like a Kurosawa or a Scorsese or whatever. No, but it's like this subtle bit of um, depth and nuance. Yeah, uh, that you that not everybody has. Very few people really do. It's very hard to do because you have to. Sp- I assume I couldn't do it. Uh, no. spend more time with those extras and day players than most people really would. Yeah, or or would give the time to, yeah, or right. can. Like, yeah, on, like just... literally on set, you have to kind of like yeah. talk them through their character more seriously, spend more time on those shots than maybe most people want to. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. There's that there is that empathy for everyone on screen. Louis Mal has thought about and and cares a little bit about. You know, has thought about the person, has thought about who that character is on screen, even if it's very quickly, because uh, yeah, they I all just the... feel different. They feel well realized. Yeah, really well realized. And the, and the plot of this movie, if you couldn't tell already, dear listener, is quite like novelistic and a little bit all over the place. Like yeah. it follows one character and then another one. Yeah. <clears throat> start following characters that you don't expect it to follow. 
particularly the young couple that we mentioned earlier. You yeah, way more, you end thing, up spending way more time with them than you think you're going to. Yeah, because it does that thing when it introduces the young couple, and I feel a little tightness in me going, oh, "Am I going to have to put it with something I don't care about?" Because <laughs> like, but it does manage to make you care. It all fits in, but yeah, there's always like that a, little bit of like, "Oh, do I need to listen? Like, do I need to the, pay attention to these now?" The film ended up having, or what felt to me like a really kind of like organic. Yeah. kind of we'll just follow this part of the story now for a bit because that's how i feel yeah. like it and that's okay rather than being really like constrained with you know we definitely need to keep in this elevator the whole time this is a this is a uh you know you could do the version of this movie that's like really really narrow and, yes and that could have worked like another filmmaker would have done that way and it could have been really cool but that's not the way that's not the story they're thinks. going for yeah yeah uh, he's he's happy to spend all this time with this these other characters who are, you know, tangential to who appear to be the main characters or, um, you know, and spend more time on the cops, as we said, and spend a few extra lines of dialogue on this little kid, just like you said. And it just keeps happening over and over again in a way that mm. I wasn't expecting at all. And uh, little touches, it comes up at this point now because, you know, we've said the, the couple end up at a, a motel with this German couple um and the the louis refuses to go into the motel to book in so veronica goes in instead and um even that little choice plays into last parts of the film that's right. important that he doesn't go in and it's such a little subtle thing that's just like louis being a bit of a dick really when they get there like i but, think um, i wrote down those exact words no i wrote louis is an asshole that's <laughs> yes, what i wrote yeah <laughs> So um yeah, moving it forward, they 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 in in Julian's car they find his little camera like it looks like a bit of modern technology that they refer to a bit like a spy camera. Maybe he's a spy. Right. Uh, they uh they find his gun as well and his raincoat and Louis puts on the raincoat because he's cold driving. The gun's in his pocket. They you know sh- the Veronica is obsessed with the tiny camera. Um then. They get to the hotel room and instead of introducing themselves with their own name, they introduce themselves as Julian. Uh, right. Uh, Tavernier, I think, and uh, I can't even say this guy's name. Forget it. <laughs> and uh, they then check into the uh, motel that way, but the only person who checks in is Veronica, and then the German couple. Uh, they right. continue drinking with the German couple all night. There, he's ordered a ton of champagne, which just looks fantastic. Oh, yeah. And um, they're and they're just sharing that, and they're talking about kind of. We've already said this. They're talking about Europe. They're talking about France. He's like, you know, let's put the past behind us. Let's be positive, kind of thing. He, I, I thought the German couple were really nice. I quite like. Yeah, they I quite were. liked them actually. Like, it was again um, random he, side characters out of nowhere. Yeah, which end up having they get introduced to the film really casually in a way that you you don't see them coming at all. Um, yeah, literally, uh, actually, and end up being <clears throat> you know quite fully realized characters who are entertaining and fun. Mm. And you know, you 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 by the time you get to the a few minutes in you care about them and want to kind of want to see where they're headed which is yeah. not far and there's just in stark difference to the kind of cynicism and angriness that's coming out of like Louis um, right. and it really just works as the kind of like texture of that film yeah and, he's uh, very Louis very uh, like rebel without a cause isn't he he's very like James Deanish. yeah 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 uh, they playing around the hotel room now. Uh, the wife of the German guy takes a um, photo of them all with the tiny camera. She's like, I have one of these. I know. Or oh, my friend has one of these. And they take a photo of right. them all like hanging out together. And Louis kind of loses it at that point. Like he gets really angry at them. 
So the Whoops. the ladies go off, they go and walking off, whereas the the guys stay together to have some cigars. And whilst the whilst they're walking off, she takes a little camera to like an in house photo development at the hotel. Yeah, which just can't be real even for the time. I was going to say that it's a <laughs> it's an interesting amount of services they offer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm assuming this is just plot-related invention. Like, you know, everyone was turning up at these roadside motels, like, with cameras yeah. they needed developing. It must have been it's a boot. Very business. convenient. Very yeah. convenient. I like that each each room had its own garage. Own garage. It wasn't a parking lot like a motel no. would have now. Every single, like, cabin had its own garage. So they were all, like, little yeah. individual, like, two-room bungalows with garages they even made a point about that that it hasn't a fancy place and you drive the car right there they they really liked that yeah super fancy super fancy um whilst that cuts away from that we come back to julian in the in the elevator and he's um he's smoking every guitar that he has like, <laughs> 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 he's absolutely going for it like um yeah. And Florence is still outside, kind of. It started to rain. I, I wrote here, she lets the rain speak for her. It's the, the way I worded oh, this yeah. scene. <laughs> and, oh, uh, yeah. There's less um, smoking in this film overall than I would have expected. There is. Actually. There's less smoke in this film than All About Eve, which is another film I watched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, French French films from this time period have, I, w- I would say this had fully 50% of the amount of smoking of other French 50s movies. <laughs> it's only because he that's ran out of cigarettes, I think. Like, that's my official analysis of Elevators <laughs> of the Gallows. I submit my TED talk. <laughs> um, and then his kind of military stuff comes out now. And this is why I think it's, again, a little bit important that he's military because he finds the hatch from below the the elevator. And uh, Yeah, this this is a brilliant... This reminded me a little bit of, like, No Country for Old yeah. Men or, or when the Coen brothers do kind of, like, silent, um, um, you know, I need to do this to accomplish, to accomplish this, this, to accomplish yeah. this. But it's there's no dialogue and it's all silent and and it's just so and it's not like um, it doesn't go out of its way to kind of hammer you about what he's doing. You get the essence no. of it, like from from watching right. him. So he he kind of escapes the hatch. He a lovely bit. I loved all this shadow work here. I don't know if that's a term, yeah. but like when he lights no. the little bit of um, cigarette packet and chucks it in. He's using his oh yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, he lights a cigarette. A packet on fire yeah. and chucks it down the elevator shaft to see how far down it yeah. goes to see if it's like safe for him to try and climb down but and, like um, he never says that out loud no and like I, but like you and i both knew exactly, exactly what was, it was happening. happening it was very clear yeah and again and just going he... back to like how much more how much better this movie is than just a uh miles davis score with some good images yeah, yeah. i don't think we'd be talking about it if it was just that no, Maybe. I don't think either. I think it's a little bit. It's it's the the relationship to to Demi is really good to me because I love Demi films and this fits into that kind of feeling for me. It's the type of films I really enjoy watching when they're like this right. you know, like attention to detail and they they flow along like that's fun for me to watch. So it has all that. Like yeah, you know, the other oh the other person this reminded me of and I wanted to bring this up was a French filmmaker from the same t- time period. Uh, Robert Bresson, who made A Man Escaped, and you and I were maybe going to watch Pickpocket, oh, which is another yeah. film of his. Yeah. And I've seen A Man Escaped, and it's amazing. It's a masterpiece. And it's similar, similarly simple, straightforward filmmaking. Um, even be- I mean, Bresson's a, another caliber of filmmaker, but uh, really great. And it turns out that uh, Louis Mal worked on that film as like an assistant. No way. Yeah. So they so all, they all link like, in together, uh, doesn't it? Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it makes sense that he's... He he does. I I do think that's probably 
for I'm gonna guess based on this film that Louis Mal would have cited like Bresson as the guy he wanted to be. Yes. Okay. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like the his like main like current influence. Uh, but he is at the same time uh, not quite on the like masterful next level tier, but um, also is has a different vibe and a different energy. And is he's not just ripping him off; he's no, doing his no, own yeah. thing, I would say. But is definitely influenced by sort of the simplicity and the straightforwardness, but also um, the attention to detail and sort of yeah. just like great storytelling, um, letting letting telling the story as best as you can. Um, rather than calling attention to yourself and, and trying to just, like show off. I absolutely agree. The elevator scene reminded me an awful lot of, of that film is what I'm trying to get at. Um, the uh, Yeah, so, and you get the tension really builds at this point. This is probably one of the most tension-filled little bits where he's climbed out the bottom of the um, escalator. Um, escalator? Elevator. What? <laughs> there's no score in this scene. There's no score in this scene. This is another... This is also yeah, completely silent. Yeah. There's, and he's just dangling yeah. below it with, and then the cop comes in yeah. and he doesn't know it's, I guess he guesses it's a cop, but he doesn't know for certain. He just knows someone's come into the building right. and the cop is fucking around with something, but um, drops his keys and has to turn the lights on the whole building to find his keys. And as he turns the light on, the right. elevator starts moving down um, as while, uh, while he's, he's dangling below it. it. Yeah. And it kind of right. starts shooting at the floor and looking at his panic Um and it's suddenly what I really liked is about it, it's gone from all this really moody, dark lighting when it was a pitch black like shaft of, of the where he was dangling into, and then suddenly everything's lit up bright, right, right at the kind of point at the um the kind of uh the threat rising. It's it, it's actually lit right. up really brightly, which is uh, you'd think almost opposite actually, but it just suits the scene. Um, but like yeah, he um. But I just, I just thought it it just works perfectly. I loved it. Like, and you don't know what he's going to do about it. Yeah. Is he going to try and climb in really quickly? Is he going to get crushed? Like, or is the electricity going to go off in time? And he obviously turns the electricity back yeah. off in time. Yeah, this scene was this scene was brilliant. I really, I loved how much, like in my head, there was a lot going on. I don't know about you, but there was this, just the tension of like the action filmmaking, which again, surprised the hell out of me. I was not expecting yeah. like full on action movie scenes. Yeah. Um, to, and then, and, and for them to be this good. Mm. Uh, which uh, is unusual at this time period. There's usually a bit of awkwardness or a bit of like yeah. cheese or stuff that feels a bit more dated. Yeah. Um, even in really great films. or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Even, honestly, even in, even in a few Hitchcock films that I would say are way better yeah. than this, yeah. there are moments that where the action kind of like dissipates or I don't take it maybe as seriously as I did this scene, yeah. which is saying right. an awful lot yeah, uh, right. about how, how ahead of its time it was in terms of, uh, I guess how modern, quote unquote, um, this and the other sort of action-based scenes are. How modern it felt, yeah. Very impressed. I agree. But the other thing that was great was that I kept thinking, because there's so much going on There's uh, in this scene, I was thinking, well, if is it just going to be that he comes out of the elevator and the cop sees him and he has an alibi yeah. for yes. the other thing that we yeah. haven't talked about yet that already happened? Uh, so we should, we should go, go backwards, back. like five well, minutes. Let's just say... About five I think it's important earlier. to point as well. Like it, it keeps cutting away to Florence, and each time it comes in, she's doing some narration. She's talking about her heartbreak now and again. Yes. But also, each time it yes. cuts back, it bangs in with that soundtrack. And every time, it's such yes. a treat. And like yeah. it, you know, this soundtrack, you've heard it. Like you've heard this soundtrack. Whenever people want to do a pastiche on like a French film or something like that, they'll find something like this. You've you've heard this in the yeah. Ether, well, this, you know, like this soundtrack did like. It created a subgenre yeah. of like sad trumpet yes. <laughs> in a city. This this film invented it essentially. Uh, so anytime you've seen that passage, actually, 
Rosalie and I have been watching The Simpsons. She just got into it. Yeah, I was going to say The Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, So she's loving it. We're only watching it chronologically. And the saxophone episode with Bleeding Guns, What's His Face, is season one. Yeah. Which I I don't remember. I'm not like a huge (laughs) Simpsons head. So I've seen it all when I was a kid, but I don't remember what is where. Yeah. Uh, And so the sad saxophone music of that guy and Lisa finding him under the bridge or whatever is just straight. You could draw a straight line. Yeah. Uh, from from this Miles Davis score to that joke, yeah, uh, and, absolutely. and everything in, in between. So yeah, it didn't. It really didn't exist as an aesthetic until this. As far yeah. as I know, as far as I, as far know. As I know, I'm probably wrong. But meanwhile, Louis is a complete twat and decides to steal yes. the Germans' merc for no reason. Right. So the, okay. Like, so the reason I was thinking uh, that it would be interesting if uh, who's the main guy again? I can't even remember his name. Julian. Julian. If Julian managed to like calmly walk out of this elevator. And prove to the police officer that, that he had been stuck there all night yeah. would have, for him, actually been a good thing, even though he thought it was a bad thing. Because earlier that evening, and slightly earlier in the film, uh, we cut back to uh, the uh, young criminal Louis deciding that he needs to steal the German man, the nice German man's car, to cover his tracks from having stolen the other car. <laughs> because in his stupid little brain, he thinks that stealing two cars somehow is makes it, two wrongs make a right or something. Yeah, it's like somehow like makes it harder for the police to find him or something. Yeah. I don't know what he's thinking. Uh, really, it's just because he likes the car. Yeah, um, and, and that's pretty clear from watching the film that he's invented this. He's a bit of a sociopath, I guess. He's invented this kind of reason to just because he wants to do it. I think it's so, a little bit like how affluent these Germans are as well. And it's like fuck you, yes, kind of yeah. thing. They're quite, they um, are quite rich. That's very clear as well. There's a class difference. Yeah, massively. So he goes to steal his wicked Mercedes, um, and the German guy somehow like knew he would or something ahead of time. So he um, like hid first gear. I know. Which, I think yeah. Isn't it just that I don't know what that means. Um, that unless you know how to get it into first gear that it just stopped I, I got screaming, the impression but... that it was one of those cars where it was like the, I, the transmission it's a manual transmission and yeah. it just works different differently than a modern manual transmission yeah like, i don't know how i wasn't alive exactly yeah it sounds Apparently, like first gear isn't where you expect to find it on the gear stick was he, he says he literally physically hit it, hit it yeah like it's yeah like it's in where you'd expect third to be or something so I, it's maybe you know. like you need to put another key in or something like there's some physical object you need to put into the gearbox to put in the first or something yeah uh so the german guy comes out with his own gun because he was but the german guy comes out laughing which was like he's just like are oh, you idiots like he's well, not he's that it's sort angry, of similar you know what? like he sort of plays in a weird way similar to the first murder scene with the rich french guy yeah he also sort of laughs in the face of, of danger the, the, yeah the gun because like they've seen some shit haven't they yeah um, yeah they so live through the war the, yeah yeah that's totally. sort of the implication is that this older generation yeah. is maybe uh, a little bit too like fearless now? They've been they've been like hardened so much that yeah. they don't I take threats as seriously I as think they that's should. Really maybe. right. Yeah. Uh, those two scenes play that way anyway. So he's laughing. Yeah. At him. He's holding his own pistol at the young French kid. Thinks it's all a bit of a joke. Uh, a sidebar: He knew that this young French kid was like not who he claimed to be the whole night and didn't yeah. seem to care. He thought it was he all kind care. of a gag. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, he thought it was um, funny. He didn't give a shit. What he, like, yeah, what he doesn't, he doesn't yeah. know. What he doesn't know is that unfortunately, no, Louis's not who he said he was. Louis is Louis is a crazy person, and he does happen to have a gun. And he <laughs> yeah, didn't and he know those two facts. Like he didn't. The German guy's pretty smart. He seems to be, but he didn't clock yeah. that Louis is a lunatic, and he didn't, which he should have at this point. 
uh, and he didn't know that Louis has a gun. So Louis decides, well, I guess I should murder him. Yes. That's the only logical thing, which again, I don't think you're thinking this through, Louis. No. I, I feel like he hadn't really thought all of his options through very clearly. No. Uh, in that one. So it escalates very quickly. Uh, Louis shoots both of the Germans. Yeah, because the wife comes uh, so out as well. He doesn't just yeah. shoot them. It's not like just bang. He shoots them like seven times. Yeah, he <laughs> like, shoots them a lot of like times. Later like, he's, on, he's, he's like, do, do you think they died? And he's like, yes, yeah, Louis. He, he, is, he is properly into it. Um, yeah, Louis is not a great guy. Uh, and uh, Veronica, uh, or he calls her Vero. Vero, yeah. Monique. Yeah. So she, again, is pretty horrified. But at the same time, it reminded me an awful lot of that bit in the second Star Wars prequel where Anakin's like, I just murdered people. And Padme's like, oh, that's all right. I love you anyway. Yes. Remember that bit? Yes. yes. And she's sort of the same thing where she's like, I just watched you murder people, but I guess we'll still, we're fine. So that's <laughs> where fine. you're thinking, like, you underestimated how crazy she is just because she was like a nice preppy young woman. Yeah. But she's clearly also not a good person. And like, yeah. and important to say as well, the German didn't have a gun. He was just holding his cigar case. As a gun. Really? It's just... No. Yeah, it's just his cigar case. It's not actually a gun. When does that... I thought it was when a he, gun. When he drops it, it just... I missed that completely. No, when he drops it, it literally just drops out a cigar case. Oh, he I just comes out pretending his down. cigar case is a gun. I think um, I think I wrote down that dot, dot, dot escalated in my notes. And I think when I wrote that down, must have been when I missed that shot. So that's like even more that he's so fearless of these guys. He's just like, oh, I'm going to just pull this on them and they'll run away because they're just kids. They, You know, he just assumes this will like, you know, be enough for him. He doesn't think yeah. that Louis has a gun on himself. So for those of you following along here, trying to follow along, this means that someone who's been identified by everybody as Julian, the main character, yeah. driving his car, and everyone thinks it's him based off of these like various little um, incidents and, and mistakes and whatever else that's happened throughout the film, uh, has just killed two people. The motel owner knows who it was. In- everyone knows who it was. Incredibly so traceable. Like, yeah, so now everyone in the film, including some police officers who have already been introduced, I believe, um, believe that don't know that the old guy at the beginning is dead yet. No one's no, found no him. No one's yet. found him, no. Um, but believe that Julian has killed this German tourist couple. Yeah, and stole their car. But no one, but no one thinks he killed the guy he actually killed. So we have this really bizarro, yeah. again, Co- Coen Brothers-esque yeah. sort of bumbling everyone's wandering around in the dark trying to figure out what's going on and even more the younger couple managed to get away now at this point right so they They drive back to paris abandon the car chuck julian's coat in there and the gun uh they go back to Vero's apartment and park it right on a bridge over the seine yeah it's oh my god (laughs) they talk it there like no one would see them walking away from it like it's not like (laughs) oh my god i was like you're gonna park that that car on that bridge uh, I think you should be uh, get the death penalty for that first and the murder second. <laughs> That's how bad that is. Unless, but this is a proper really James Bond murk. Like it's like a proper yeah. like like it's so identifiable. Car. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They go back to the apartment, and Vera has the fantastic idea for them to both kill themselves. <laughs> yeah. So they're they're these are teenagers who are being very overdramatic, very Romeo and Juliet about it. It again mirrors. This is another interesting thing. Mirrors the first conversation of the film yeah right yeah this is like the young silly yeah. stupid version of the grown woman version yeah. of Jean that's true on the phone in the beginning saying i can't live gets, without you and yeah yeah she gets really emotional about it they're both sure that they're going to get caught so at this point they've maybe figured out that their plan was stupid mm. which is fair enough to them they start and realizing they, the, they they're yeah, like we've they, got a couple of hours till the police get here yeah 
So she decides to try and they're going to kill themselves using some kind of pills, which I didn't know what they were. And I remember thinking while it was happening, I was like, why would any like French 20 year old woman, however old she's supposed to be, have pills in her medicine cabinet that could kill you? If you did that doesn't fly to me. I don't, I don't, but in, in the year from like 1990 forward, you can buy that because people have more stocked medicine cabinets, but in 1958, come on. And then I was, I was proven right. It was, um, there's a weird line later on that I don't know if I just read it wrong or like got the translation wrong or something, but like, um, Florence says to them, oh, you took too much of this. Like, and that's why you just got sleepy. Right. And and like implying that if they took less of it, they would have killed themselves. No, no, no. I think she just meant too much like it made you feel sick and sleepy. But she said it's not something that you could kill you. She, she says specifically, ah. this is again later on in the film, friends, where uh, the Jean Marot character is trying to track down. She's starting to figure out what's happened. Yeah. Uh, and she's starting to piece it together. And so she's wandering around town trying to find the florist girl to, yeah. to, to see who actually was driving the car. Because now she's pretty sure it wasn't Julian, et cetera, et cetera. And she's trying to... Um, clear his name of the killing of the Germans because uh, she knows that didn't happen the way everyone thinks it did uh, yeah. and she goes to the house and finds them and then she's like oh you just took some of this whatever this is maybe painkiller I don't know but it's not enough to yeah. kill you you dumb kids uh, it's and... kind of funny that like she realizes Julian didn't kill didn't kill the German couple because he wouldn't have not killed her husband and then gone and killed other people is her right. like rationale well, she's right that makes sense yeah, yeah, it's right. So She's like, right that uh, there's no reason he would be at that hotel killing German tourists. That just didn't no, it doesn't make sense. Anything that we've seen. So yeah, her she was like, if, if he was a, he wouldn't have been a coward and not kill my husband and then kill people. So he yeah. must have killed my husband, right. and then he must be somewhere else. Her. Right. And like, so she, she's then like, like starts investigating on her own. Basically, and here's a weird, a weird plot point around the same time where inexplicably the police have brought her in, and the guy, she's a friend of hers, she's hanging out with. Well, they're trying to figure out what happened to Julian. So she's she's most of the film she spends wandering around trying to figure out what's going on, which again is a, like a thankless role that no normal person could make this compelling. Yes. Um, yes. But she does, and then eventually near like the third like in the third act of the film where all this action's taking place, she just ends up at the police station. Yeah, and with one and of Julian's guy, mates, isn't it? And the guy and the police officer is like, "You're wandering around without your paper." So I don't know if France was still in a very like. The paranoid papers please kind of era i guess probably yeah um, but probably. it really that's one of those cultural um period piece things where i'm watching it going i don't really understand understand yeah, why they're right. in the police station right now but i'll just go with it i guess um and that's when she finds out something what does she find out there i don't remember there's some important information there i think it must be to do that she finds out about they found german tourists yeah it must be and she pretends but- that she doesn't know julian to the cop uh, yeah, because she doesn't want to then to get information about the other killing that they may or may not know about yet. I don't really remember the sequence of events at this point. Well, uh, what kind of happens now is that the office building opens up for the morning, and then and, they uh, find him. The security and they, guard and finds him. The security guard turns on the electricity, and the elevator starts moving again. So Julian manages to kind of tidy up the elevator. Yes. He slept like, in there overnight. So this is the next He slept day. in there overnight. Yeah, he's sweeping away all his cigarette butts and he's putting it. He's doodled on a bit of card or something and he's put, he hides that away again. Yeah. And um, he manages to sneak out the building without anyone noticing him. Like right. no one sees him sneak out. Not the cops that are with the security guard. Oh, that's right. Sorry. The security guard opens up for the police to go search Julian's office. I'm sorry. Right. 
Um, and uh, Julian managed to sneak because out they think, because they all think he killed the German tourists because they all keep his killed the, the tourists. Yeah, doing reconnaissance on his office, going through yep. all his stuff. The off the off, the other security guard was like in the military with Julian. Is it's implied? It's implied. Yeah, he keeps calling him. Either captain, way, they're anyway, both they're yeah. both military guys, and yeah. so he's like really annoyed that the cops are trying to bug this ex-military yeah. dude, uh, and he's really annoyed about it. But he just wanders off and starts looking at other stuff, opening up the rest of the building maybe for some reason. It's about to be the morning or something. Yeah, uh, and then discovers. Uh, the other the the so-called suicide which they realized very quickly yeah. was a murder somehow they they, you they never don't see... no they don't they yeah. think it's a suicide for in the whole film like because the the security guard looks through the keyhole and goes oh it's a suicide he's killed himself and did they not figure out it wasn't only that detective at the end who figured yeah yeah out. it was it's just when they see the pictures at right, the end okay. well, let's get, let's, they figure let's, out uh, there's more to do yeah so anyway uh jean Marot finds the kids she helps them uh, uh, get undrugged up for a second. Sober up, so yeah. Up, it, but then she <laughs> says, I'm going to lock the, lock you inside this apartment. She, she gives away the whole game. Mate. Unbelievable. What an yeah. idiot. So she goes in there and she's like, I'm going to turn you into the police to clear Julian is essentially her, what she wants to do. And she basically tells them she's going to do this and then tries to lock them in the room. <laughs> and like, instead of just going, oh, okay, well, see you guys later. And, and then telling, you know what I mean? Not telling them what's going on. Like you yeah. could just not say anything and wander out and and then tell the police, um, but because she and tell, they would have just lied there. Yeah, yeah they, they would have just moved. recovered from their yeah. hangover or whatever. Yeah, but instead, uh, Louis leaves, uh, obviously to try and do something. I can't even remember anymore. Is that the last we see of him? Maybe no. So what basically happens now is the joint thing is that, that Julian goes to a cafe to try and find he's just Florence. To breakfast, isn't he? Uh, they all recognize him because he's on the front cover yeah. of every paper. Yeah. And so he's news. already been he's already been overnight. Uh, everyone in France is inexplicably convinced that yeah. uh, this one random guy killed these other two random people. This was back in the day when uh, a murder would be front page uh, news. Some, yeah, yeah, just the just the one murder. It's literally overnight he's gone from no one, but you know the people around his office know who he is to like criminal number one in in France yeah. in Paris. Yeah, like, and he so has like, no he idea. He goes to this like, cafe to, to 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 get some food and some coffee. Yeah. And every single person's like, oh, oh. Yeah, everyone's eyeing him and he doesn't notice it. He doesn't really understand what's going on. Like. Yeah. It's a good bit of framing, though, too, where he, he's in the foreground just, like, really ravenously eating these croissants yeah. because he's so hungry. And everyone in the background is, like, really nervously yeah, really like, stiff. trying to figure out what to yeah. do and, like, calling the cops and stuff. Um, and so and what's Louis doing at the same time? Oh, he's on the so, bike, isn't he? So at the same time, they, they, they're like, we don't need to do anything. It's fine. They think it's Julian. Uh, there's no evidence and then they go then they find the receipt for the uh, photo development oh that's and it, Julian's yeah. like oh shit if they look at those photos they're going to see us with the German this is couple. the one smart thing he's done the entire time yeah like, so, this is the and one decision because, he makes that makes any sense and because Vero uh, she was the person who checked in they have never the people at the hotel do not know who Julian is they never saw sorry do not know who Louis is they didn't see yeah. Louis so he, right. he his idea is he can go evidence. to the motel, grab the photos, and no one will ever know he was there. They, they will never right. link him to it. And Jean Marot starts following him because she sees him. Yes, she, calls she sees him leave. Out. She oh, calls she the goes police. outside. Right, okay, okay. Yeah. This all happens quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she goes outside, goes to a phone booth, calls the police, tell them, tells them the address of this young yeah. woman, uh, says you need to go there. You get a snippet. This is another great, brilliant little bit of snippet of conversation that the film doesn't really explain but like adds this texture where you she says like it doesn't matter who i am just um they're here which implies that like she really because she's a famous person we haven't said this at all yes uh her husband's really well known because he's like a 
very wealthy arms office. dealer. He's yeah. big in politics. Uh, everyone knows this person's name, so everyone knows who she is. So she actually, throughout the film, has had to be pretty careful about um, saying that she knows who Julian is at all or any people recognizing her and all this kind of stuff. So this is another point in the film where she can't say who she is to the cops because it would sort of imply that she's more involved yeah. with stuff than she wants to be. So anyway, and then she sees Louis come down. This is 60 seconds after she locked him in the room. Because <laughs> they have a key. Because <laughs> there's another key. Of course there is. Um, uh, P.S. Fr- uh, Parisian uh, keys and doors have not changed in those 50 years. That I can, that <laughs> I can right. tell you. They're exactly yeah, sure. the same. Yeah. It's really ridiculous. Anyway. But um, also throughout this, you get the interrogation as well of Julian. And the, yes, the, sorry. Yeah, the cops Julian are like, is yeah. Even, oh my God. So much stuff happens in the last Yeah, it really does. Really. Yeah. Uh, Julian is has been apprehended by police from the at the cafe. There's what appears to be a very long interrogation, so time's getting sort of ellipsed. Yeah, sure. Quite a bit yeah. in this in this last bit, like stretched and squashed squashed in different scenes. Uh, he's in this very like Stanley Kubrick, it's great. film noirish yeah. looking police, like classic police interrogation bit. It's basically like three lights on their faces, and that's it. Really. The cops are sure that he killed the Germans. Yeah. They don't know anything about the other guy or don't care about it. No. Uh, and they keep interrogating about why he killed the Germans. And he quite rightly says, I definitely didn't. Yeah. But he doesn't have any good alibis. He, d- he starts like, not having any alibi at all. He's just like, I just was around the town last night drinking. And then eventually goes, look, I was locked in a fucking elevator all night. And they don't believe him. Right. There's no evidence. There's no CCTV. No. There's nothing. No. Like... It's very funny. So you get all of the various little incidents, which in and of themselves aren't a very big deal. But they will build up, yeah. Coalescing, yeah. yeah, around this thing where he's got no real alibi. It seems crystal clear that he killed these people. That you you do see a forensic team take fingerprints and stuff, so it's implied, but never said, yeah. that the cops would have figured this out eventually anyway. Yeah, which I think is I, for me, it was pretty clear that it would have been sorted out eventually. Um, but in this particular moment, uh, no one really understands what's going on. The cops aren't taking him seriously one bit. No. They think he's a complete joker. They think they have him dead to rights. Yeah. Which they do, but about something else. About not his crime. It's, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's quite funny. Uh, and while that's going on, Jean Marot follows this guy back to the motel. He's going to steal the photos. Uh, he he walks into a fully fledged dark room fledged that's in the middle room. of this yeah. motel, <laughs> like where actual people in lab coats are properly developing gigantic photos. Gigantic from this photos. Yeah, yeah. It's properly like a scene from Blow Up or something. Yeah. Like it's, it's a full on dark room. It's ridiculous. Uh, with these perfect, gigantic, crystal clear photos of everything that's happened in the film. Uh, and the cops are photos, already yeah. there because they somehow must have tracked the same thing. Or they, they actually, we don't know why the cops are there, but they're presented as fairly competent police officers yeah. generally. And, and the cop, like the cop who the, kind of is really the the detective who gives the big press conference and stuff like that. He's seen, he's kind of portrayed as very competent, and he's talking yeah. to the hotel staff. And that right. one of them would have mentioned they dropped off these photos or something. Exactly like. right. So it's it's sort of like another bit of casually the audience doesn't need to know every single detail of this. They'll catch up. Yeah. Is that it seems clear that he's done some extra investigating. He has some leads. He has some thoughts. Yeah. It led him to this photography bit the only bit that's very unrealistic is that all three of them arrived at the same, same time, time. <laughs> but whatever who cares yeah because louis peeks um, his head around the curtain sees the photos and then the cop comes and goes hello like, <laughs> like and just like yep. just arrests gotcha. him on the spot like yeah and then john then john oh, lucky me it's my lucky day and she sees oh, those yeah. photos and she's really happy and then he starts telling her that 
like, oh yeah, we know Julian didn't kill the Germans, but we have found these photos and show them her and Julian like in loads of photos of them together as a couple yeah, and stuff. And they start putting good photos of them like brilliant in photos. making out. Yeah, uh, taken by I assume a professional photographer on their engagement or something. This looks like the kind of photos that you would it get does, now. doesn't it? Yeah, like you would yeah, hire yeah, yeah. somebody to do for you now. Um, but taken off this little spy camera that apparently only they use. So it's a little bit of poetic license here, uh, yeah. but that's okay. Uh, so then it's that's the first concrete evidence of what the audience already had surmised. Yeah, so the cop basically that, says, that, like, yeah, you, there's a motive now. This guy didn't wasn't yeah, suicide. Yeah, yeah. There's a motive for him dying. Um, the cop finally realizes he's in a film noir. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he puts the pieces together. He goes, oh, I was in a film noir the whole time. Now I, now I get it. Um, and my last, this leads directly to my final note, because this is the last scene, isn't yeah. it, really? Where I wrote down French justice system? What the hell? Yes, yes. Like, uh, d- dear dear listener, uh, the cop, in his, like, final summation of the plot and what just happened and what's going to happen, he sort of delivers the the final word on everything. Mm. Says, like, uh, Julian's going to get 10 years for murder, but he'll probably get out in five. You, on the other hand, are screwed. And I'm like, What? she didn't kill anybody even worse than that it's it's like luckily he luckily he didn't kill the germans because he didn't know them that would have been life but because he did know the your husband that means it's only 10 years is the dialogue which is like that's a weird law i don't like yeah i hope this isn't real and then um because it's terrifying it's terrifying yeah and then he goes but you you were his husband and you were sorry he was your husband and and yeah. you plotted to be this, so this is twenty years for you, like with no parole. I, or something. I think it was. I think it was because I don't know why. Something. It seems. It seems sexist in some way, but I can't put my finger on <laughs> how. <laughs> it's, I, I don't understand why the woman involved is going to get the book thrown at her way harder than the guy who pulled the trigger. That yeah. seems unfair to me. And um, yes, yeah, so it finishes with basically the same way the film opened it kind of just concentrates on her face zooms in and she contemplates her life in jail still in love with julian and never been and not being able to kind of spend her life with him yeah despite all this yeah which is i thought it was actually quite a nice beautiful yeah, ending, it was actually. mistakes were made it's a, a lot, the film's a lot about like regret and just making poor yeah. poor life choices and dealing with them in a lot of in like in a metaphorical sense i guess but it it, it does it really concretely, but then it turns it into kind of a poetic, um, um, I don't know what. Uh, yeah, <laughs> art, poetic art kind of finishing. Yeah, yeah, sure. On the on the topic. And also something not very new wave. Uh, it actually does like tie everything up. Yeah. All strands are well, tied up sure, nicely at the end. Like <laughs> Maybe because of the time period and I, the fact that I associate Jean Marot with, with the new wave, I was sort of expecting it to end yeah. maybe a little bit more chaotically or that they were going to yeah. get all, like be not not get fingered for the crime or something like I kind of thought that because or leave it open that maybe they'll catch them eventually I, or something about like, 20 or... minutes before the end I thought that it was going to be like oh because he got stuck in the elevator he's going to actually that's going to make it so that he can get away like that if he hadn't if yes. that, I thought what was going to happen yeah. was like ironically if he hadn't got stuck in the elevator they would have been caught but because of it you wouldn't that maybe would be like the more modern take on it but like as you said i thought that too. it yeah. does wrap up a little bit more like classical hollywood kind of way yeah but not i liked it i, I you know it was really satisfying it, it is it, it, it does like, end sort it of like more cliched than i was expecting i guess but it yeah. uses it and has that really awkward horrible 
French justice thing, but <laughs> uses that as a platform to give like another, like we said, poetic moment for Jean Marot yeah. and, and to end on her face. So that's always a good thing as far as I'm concerned. And I mean, for me, I, I don't know uh, Jean Marot very well at all. Um, but like watching this, it cemented her to me as like, oh, she's a movie star. Look at this. This oh, is yeah. like, like, this is absolutely undeniable. Um, yeah. Well, this is, I was wondering this while I was watching it because I don't know like the timeline of her career. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I know her mainly from Jules and Jim, which like I said, is a, is a standout performance, but she looked older than I was expecting. Like when I okay. started this film, cause I, I didn't, I don't know. So she was a bit older than I thought she was. And she hadn't, this was the film that turned her into a movie star, which I didn't know. Right. I kind of thought right. she was already established beforehand, uh, but she wasn't. She was established as a stage actress and had tried to do films, but they hadn't apparently worked very well for whatever reason okay. and and it seems just like hadn't hit. well it hadn't hit and i was starting to read another one of these essays like you were doing before and it implied i don't know how true this is or not that her earlier films had tried to like put her into like a more conventional uh starlet box right and just kind sure. of focus on how pretty she is and give her like soft lighting and sort of more generic roles whereas this lights her with natural light yeah. and just follows her around and lets her emote which is the more new wavy elements like we talked about. And, and if I've got this right, what happened immediately after this was Louis Mal put her in The Lovers. Um, yes, and yeah. that, and because of this film, he put her into that and that just blew her up. Like, you know, cause yeah. he knew exactly how to use it, you know. like Yeah, I can't point. wait to watch that next, actually. Yeah, same. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Anyway, Jean Marot, she's, she's amazing. Huge career, huge career. Like, it's, yeah. yeah definitely. Like, I actually recently saw her in uh, in another much later film from our friend Orson Welles. Oh, Chimes at Midnight, is it? No, I didn't see her in that one, okay. actually. I still have yet to see that, unfortunately. Um, one of his lesser works was on was on movie or BFI, something that I, where I could stream it for free. Okay, yeah. Uh, called, called The Immortal Story, which was for French television. And hmm. uh, it was very bizarre and, like, very mediocre Welles. But she was in it like in her mid forties. And it was great. Cause you don't see stars, particularly that period, female stars at that age, like looking their age. Yeah. Yeah. Like not in a weird way, Yeah, but just, she looked like a beautiful middle-aged woman yeah. and she was just playing this role. It was great. It was really, or she was great in it, in that bit. Well, it really anyway. goes into um, all about Eve is the other ones I've done with, without Ollie. So uh, that really ties into Betty Davis in that, like, like, uh, oh yeah, she's amazing in that. Uh, just letting her, letting herself be lit older and look older on screen. Yeah, like, for sure. Uh, why not? And why not? Yeah, and she dominates that film. Yeah, she's incredible. Uh, uh, your your only two choices are get older or die. Yeah, sure. uh, and <laughs> between the two, I prefer getting older. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, like, it's okay to look old and crappy and whatever because your other choice is being dead. Anyway, on that note, um, any final thoughts? Like final thoughts. It was pretty good. Ultimately, the the score is the standout, the thing that yes, sure, like elevates it past. Another thing, but I, I'm going to reiterate that the film is still really good and it's worth watching despite despite uh, uh, that sort of like backhanded compliment that yeah, gets all the time. It gets quite sniffy, comp- like quite sniffy from some critics, really, in some A of the essays. Yeah, it's, it seems it's... weird. I feel like if the score was less good, then people would probably like be nicer to the film. Oh, maybe. Anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah, Cause maybe, it's like, yeah, yeah. The, the, it's like, oh, it's you only like it because of the score. You, you, yeah, you yeah. You don't really know what you're talking about. You got bamboo. It only elevates it because you have one of the music. best jazz musicians in the world ever doing the score for it kind of thing. It's Well, like, yeah. I would also argue, this is another thing I like to argue, where someone says, oh, this movie, it's not because of 
you know, the director or whatever, it's good because of this or that. Well, and I would say, well, the director chose this or that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And as far as I can tell, there's not a lot of information about it, but he chose to work with Miles well, Davis. He I, went to him. How does a 24-year-old get Miles Davis in 1958 to score a film? <laughs> I don't know. Like, how do you do know. that? French, French, like, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's director talent right there. Step one. And yeah. then knowing, knowing that Jean Melo was a star before anyone else did. So that those are the talents of a good filmmaker. Yeah. Right? Cause as far as I can work out, he hired uh, Jean Moreau because what she watched, he watched her on stage doing cat on the hot right. tin roof in Paris. Yes. Yeah. And, um, he, and he went to find uh, Miles Davis, Miles Davis to get him to come and do the soundtrack for this because he'd heard his music and thought it would work. Right. Really well, well, that's, that's, that's him under like, that's him seeing the film in his head. And yeah. knowing that those two people will elevate, will work for what is... he wants to shoot. Yeah, absolutely. Right, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. To, to say like, oh, it's it's well, he's an okay filmmaker, but he consistently w- makes choices that make movies that are better than that, like with <laughs> My Dinner with Andre and this uh, and um, uh, Au Revoir les Enfants and Atlantic City. That means he's a good filmmaker. Is what that, that means, means. He's a good filmmaker. I absolutely like, yeah. and I've not seen Dinner with Andre. I, we will cover it on the podcast. We definitely will because I really want to see it because it's one of those films that kind of it changed what people thought films could be in the eighties, like and like independent yeah, films. I'm excited to watch that. I, I don't. I do not know how I've made it this many decades without seeing. No, it. same, same. I don't know either. I, I even know like you know jokes about it. I, I pick up like jokes in kind of yeah, like exactly. community and stuff about it. I know all the kind of stuff, but I've never actually sat down and watched it. But the fact that that film works, which as far as I can tell, is just dialogue between Wallace Shawn and uh, Andre Gregory. Like um, It's just a conversation, isn't it? Louis Mal brings something to that. He must do. Like, like there's no reason that film works. Right. It has to work like without it. Uh, on that note, I give this four stars. <laughs> four easily. stars easily. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I could have easily, I could... If I was in a better mood, maybe go four and a half. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I felt like it could go either way. Um, and as much as I did like the kind of organic wandering point of view of the film, ultimately the two teenage criminals weren't as interesting to watch on screen. Yeah, um, yeah. I liked them and I liked that we followed them. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the they weren't like I kind of didn't want them to be on the screen as long as they were to a certain extent. So that that brings it down from like full-on masterpiece territory to really great territory. Yeah, they weren't as compelling as no. compared to the rest of it. But yeah, I agree. But who is? And yeah, four star, just four stars easily. Like it was. Easy. I was quite I was quite surprised how very watchable it is and, and really quite yeah. enjoyable. And it's a Super it's only entertaining. One hour and a half or something like that, 80 minutes, 90 minutes. It's yeah, a short like, film. It's really entertaining. Uh, it's not a homework movie whatsoever. No, it's not. Uh, the students uh, enjoy that scene when I show it to them. They, it's, it, they call it a mood or a vibe. <laughs> this film is definitely That's, a mood. Like it is. Like just watching her wandering around Elysée. It's like yeah, yes. I was feeling that. I was missing. I was missing. I was. God, hard. those bars, those martinis. I was just like, <laughs> I just want to be there. I just want to listen to jazz in a so little bad. fucking cocktail bar in Paris. It's all I want to do. I, like, I just, I just want to, I just want to like dig into a random bowl of fruit croissants yes, on a bar. And the way he was just munching like, out of nowhere. Them, I was just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and just like and like say I'll pay for it later, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. I, Oh, and just tell them to bring me loads of coffee. Exactly. And sit outside on the sidewalk. That's uh, all I want in the world. It was. This, Miss this it. film was, in, in summary, this film was a mood. Like, in summary, <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Brandon. And thank you so much My for pleasure. bringing this film. Uh, and My pleasure. choosing this. It was uh, really good. And uh, yeah. and hopefully we know good luck when the music video with Ollie and we'll hear about it once you guys are finished. Yeah. 
yeah, that'll that's I think we have about two weeks left. I'm back on it. Um, you know, I'm gonna do a bit tomorrow, I think. Anyway. But yeah, we'll um we're Fifi's the next one that should be coming out or around when we get back to the mini series. The release schedule's gonna be a bit chaotic. It always is when yeah, like, sure. we, like work takes over. But you know, keep tuned for the fifties. We've got some great episodes coming up. Then uh, John Ford Searchers, we've got Seventh Seal coming up. Awesome Wells oh. is back with Touch of Evil and then we're gonna round oh, out yeah. with the four hundred blows as well. So we've got some wonderful stuff coming up this this uh, mini series. Great films. And um and you know, if you listen to us, please like check us out online. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Just Your Tracking. That's your with a YR. And uh, if you like what we do, please rate, review, subscribe to us on iTunes or or wherever you know, grab your podcasts. Uh, tell your friends. Yeah, you know, we we love like hearing your points of view and hearing what people are watching, especially if you're watching along with us. Remember to write in corrections and complaints, please. Yep, criticize all my really bad French pronunciations because I cannot fucking yep. speak French. Like, but um. As Ollie always rounds off, like, um, if the picture's bad, don't forget to adjust your tracking. Bonne nuit. <laughs> Bonne nuit. Bonne après-midi. A plus. Ciao. A plus. Ciao.